just right. like that. Just like, damn. <laughs> What's up, everybody? We've got a lot of people sitting here waiting. We got Chris Sexton, Lorga, GS, or Tao, who's loving the logo, giving us some funny jokes on that. Lucas, you're already popping I'm here, too. There. Yep. <laughs> Andy, Savage Beauty Exotics, the Herp Network. The folks from the Herp of the Culture Network are already here. Look wow. at that. Xavier Walker Exotics. Wow, look what we've done in, in four episodes. Yeah, man. <laughs> A cool. Monday morning routine for the people. Yeah. Well, it's morning for, for you and I. It's afternoon for Eric. True. Yeah, yeah. I just got done work, but I'm still well, drinking coffee. Afternoon <laughs> is just the second morning, if you think of it. <laughs> you, you know us ha- hobbits, it's second <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, we, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter what time of day, coffee is appropriate whenever. And uh, so is so is Reptile Chat. Talk absolutely. About yeah. How's so, it going? Nothing, nothing burned down in your room this week. No, no more fires. <laughs> Excellent. No more fires. No more melted stuff. Although I get faint whiffs of it over there. Oh, really? It's yeah. just lingering. <laughs> well, the top of the fucking rack got singed. Like there's ah. a part where the top panel of plastic like bubbled up a little bit from the heat. So like there's this little singed reminder of like old rack. <laughs> Or old tape, old cheap thermostat equals bad. It's like it's a math. It's a reminder. It's like a math <laughs> equation just etched right into it. So um, my poor Apodora. He's fine, though. But, like, man, his cage decor and everything smelled like melted plastic. I had to wash it all off. Mm. And then I put him in a new enclosure. And every time I'd open his enclosure, it smelled like uh, melted plastic because, like, the cork hide and his plants. And even he smelled like melted plastic. I was like, this is fucked up. Oh, man. Dude, it was brutal. Like, every day I'm walking in here for, like, the first four or five days after. That's all I smelled. And it was just awful no matter how much I aired it out, no matter how many snakes took a dump. It just reminded me of that. And, uh that's is that the only time you will ever rather smell snake shit than something else? <laughs> probably, probably. I, ah, uh, yeah, that was scary. So uh, I'm sure at this point, a lot of uh, our audience they probably have seen my posts on Instagram and Facebook about it. But I nearly had a fire Christmas morning under my Apodora's uh, converted tub. It had a nice, uh, nice window on it this is all that's left of the tub Uh, (laughs) i threw that shit away because it had a hole in the bottom yeah but uh i do intend on setting that back up on another tub and just doing a more safe approach i think um what i think went wrong was it was a an older piece of heat tape that i'd set up years ago that although wasn't damaged was old and then a cheap hydro stat you know, that plus being sandwiched between a tub and a rack. You know, the probe was appropriately placed, still adhered. I just, uh, and, you know, luck of the draw, I guess. So mm. from here on out, anytime I set something like that, I'll probably put, you know, uh, two by fours or some sort of spacers into the tub so there's proper airflow and I can see it and easily access it and just, you know, eliminate as many variables so I don't have any more melted tubs. But right. no was hard, it- no foul, snakes are good. That's the important thing. Yeah. Was yeah. it clear that the thermostat had bugged out? Like, did the display on the thermostat look wonky or? No, that's why I'm not sure. Like, 
if I can really say it was a thermostat or if it was just the heat tape or if it was a combination because the thermostat was reading where I set it. The probe was set where I needed it and everything was running good. But when I touched the heat tape, it was hotter than shit and I could just right. smell it. So, um, hmm. yeah. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. Could have been, could have been real bad. So, um, you know, and a lot of folks responded to that and they're like, this is, I had an incident like this, or a lot of people have had similar instances and a lot of folks, uh, either because of an incident shifted or because they had heard of this happening, never went down the road of heat tape. But a lot of folks hmm. reached out were like, this is why I do ambient heat, or this is why I only use ceramic heaters or, you know, sure. things like that. So, um, yeah. Heat tape, yeah, it does scare me. I only use it on my quarantine stuff. And they've they've <laughs> made it safer now. Like some a lot of the the newer rolls and things you buy will come with a a fire retardant layer on there, and I don't know thermostats being as advanced as you could ask for these right, days. Right. I feel like it's relatively safe. That's it's everybody's just, fear, right? You know, yeah, it's every herper's nightmare is fire in their their snake room. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, especially when it's a it's in your house, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, that doesn't just affect me and my animals. That affects my girlfriend and all my neighbors. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah the so. other people in my apartment complex would would be quite upset <laughs> if I lit it on fire. <laughs> yeah, that would be Don't bad. Do that. Don't yeah. do that. No, that's avoid bad. at all costs. Yeah. Um. So. And, and I'm hoping that that's just going to be a one-time incident, a learning incident for me, mm. hopefully learning for everybody else who, who saw that and can take just mental notes from it and uh, just move forward. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you usually travel for Christmas, but maybe thank you, COVID, for, for being I home. I mean, shoot. Yeah. For real. For Luke real. is always looking at the positive. Of I'm trying. There's always a silver lining. There's always a silver lining, you know. The yes. only thing that I had to throw out was uh was a twenty five dollar plastic tub. So yeah, um, absolutely, I don't care. I've I've already got um, more thermostats in the mail, and in fact, I ordered my hatchling rack. And while I was there, I was like, "Screw it, I'll just get another dual channel." So I just grabbed another one, and uh, I've actually realized that I can phase out a couple redundant thermostats with a new one that'll leave me free to have good reliable backup thermostat should i need to set things up in a pinch like that again in the future and not have some cheapo hydrostat so you know it's it's i guess coincidental when i should be upgrading stuff as is so for sure yeah 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 we were talking about before the uh before we started that i recently started uh putting together uh the aki cage Yes, get the Yakis. So first, I wanted to say, like, you know, I thought about this for a while. And as you know, everybody talks about diversifying and, you know, trying to work with different things and such. And I'm like, you know, if I just get another snake, am I really diversifying? Like, I know that, you know, certain species are different and stuff and colubrids are different than pythons and all that stuff. I said, let me I'm going to go extreme with this and let's just go way out and. Yeah, so I'm adding <laughs> lizards <laughs> or monitors. You know, do you think your dad's recent activities had a had an influence 100%, on you? Yeah. 100%. You know, uh, 100%. That's so because cool, though. That's awesome, it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I, you know, well, for one, it's cool because now I have this thing that you know 
sort of me and my dad can sort of like uh, rebond on, I guess, if you sure. will, you know? Um, yeah. And, um, you know, he's asking me stuff and, and, and his, his approach to stuff is so different than, um, I don't know, than what I see. Like, if he has a problem, he, it's it's not like he goes to the internet to try to find a product that's going to fix that problem. He just figures out a way to fix it. And I guess it's like this DIY type of reptile approach. But like still looking, I mean, I think I sent you guys the pictures of the enclosures and stuff. And it's like, it's like, holy shit, man. Like, <laughs> I feel like a slacker, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> like, but, uh, you know, he's like, uh, it's 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 crazy right um i think um on animals at home podcast with um with zach is his last name loafman loafman like a loaf of bread yeah i've said it every (laughs) wrong way over the last few months (laughs) so that last episode is like a long time since i've listened to a podcast like just like super intently you know like the way he i think I know he's been on multiple podcasts, but whatever the questions that I don't even know. Dylan. What's his, Dylan. Okay. Yeah. The that Dylan was asking. He's a great host. He's yeah, very man. engaging. Yeah. He nailed it. You know, um, yeah. he did a great job. And, um, you know, just the different, like, I, I guess for me, it's always been about uh, behavior. You know, mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by the behavior of, of animals and the natural history and when you got into uh, reptiles, but when I got back into it, it was more of um, breeding, you know, which I guess is behavior too. But my dad is all about the behavior. Like he just, right. you know, watches it like a fish tank and all. And um, uh, I got red ackies. Yeah. Really, really. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, like, I got oh, you. I didn't, I didn't I even that. answer that. Whoa. <laughs> I got you. All right. This is how, see, this is Owen, how the, the team works. Why does not ever do this for me? <laughs> Damn. Sorry. sorry, Owen. Sorry. Sorry. I'll stop doing it. Owen, you're still better. <laughs> no, no. Oh. But see, anyway, he's, still, he, he's here with us. In, in he's our here mind. in spirit. Yeah. I can yeah. hear him right now. I can hear him yelling at me. you. <laughs> I will never do that again. <laughs> fucking riley don't um, you work <laughs> don't you know i've been having this gig for nine years and uh, you know <laughs> i haven't had to do anything and now you're gonna make me do stuff uh Perfect. but um <clears throat> so oh, shit but in you know it's so true it's like watching uh you know setting up um you know the animal in in naturalistic uh spots gives you uh uh the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the uh, the possibility of of seeing behaviors that you might not have necessarily mm-hmm. seen uh, mm-hmm. in different circumstances. Absolutely, and, you know, setting up uh, the Yaki's cage, it's like it's it it's it like ticks the artistic side of my brain. Like you know, whoa, this is pretty cool, <laughs> you yeah. know. And then yeah. when it's all done, and that's pretty why I, I see why. Um people really enjoy that you know um it unlocks to like another way to interact with your animal besides feeding it to death because those things that you handcraft you get to see how your animal uh reacts to it interacts with it right so it's like it's a way for you to offer something to the animal that will elicit a response that isn't food (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah 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 
So yeah, when I when I was working at uh, the Sacramento Zoo, it was interesting to to see how a couple times a year I could almost predict it. Um, we had this old old male ball python on exhibit. He's forty years old this year. Actually, he'll yeah. be forty. He'll be forty one if he makes it to this August. Um, dude had crazy. cataracts and liver issues and all sorts of things, but he's still kicking. Um, but every once in a while, almost like clockwork, it was when he'd, he'd have a few consistent weeks of feeding and he'd be very sedentary for a couple of weeks, just in this one part of his enclosure, but we'd set it up for full display, right? Cause it's in the, the reptile room, right? So it's a big, like, you know, four foot tall enclosure. And we dress it up because empty negative space just looks bad for the viewer. Mm, so there'd be right. full on branches, like tree segments going in there. And every once in a while, you'd open that door. And if you were looking down right here, you'd miss him because he was up in a branch right at your eye level. And it's just something different that the folks who keep frogs, who keep lizards, who keep uh, even tarantulas, um, you know, these animals that need that sort of environmental specificity, they see that sort of stuff more than snake keepers because, you know, snakes are very, you know, pro or so we've been taught, programmed to just, you know, as long as they've got the basics and, and they're thriving and they can breed and they're safe and they can feed, you know, they're okay. And that as much as that is true, it doesn't, it doesn't allow them the rest of the potential behavior repertoire that we see folks like, like Lori Tareen promoting and talking a lot. Um, and it's just, it's yeah. just different. And I, you know, like, I mean, I remember reading a paper a couple of years ago, freaking poison dart frogs can remember their little territory in the, in the, the rainforest and create a mental map so they can always find their way back home as they're out foraging for food. And this is a right. frog that is smaller than your thumb. <laughs> right. It has more capability in that little less than a thumb size organism than most of us do if we got lost in the freaking mm -hmm. woods. So I don't know. I think there's, yeah, I think there's a lot more that we have yet to discover and unlock about our understanding of these animals. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And obviously I've been talking about it in our little chats, but I've been yeah. on a weird magnetic field kick yeah. <laughs> in my brain yeah. thinking about the ways that, a lot of animals are able to utilize that for sense of direction. Mm -hmm. And like I was, like I was saying, I've just been very curious if, if we even know whether snakes are plugged into that, the way that turtles and birds are, yeah. especially the ones that travel large distances and have a, Why wouldn't they a territory. Yeah. Oh, right. Why wouldn't they be? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's one of those classic things where it's, <clears throat> I am not, so we don't even really think about it, but, clearly so many other things are yeah um, so yeah yeah <laughs> well and and if you guys have read anything about sea turtles they follow the moonlight you know babies when they hatch they hatch out at night and follow the moonlight towards the water um you know how many times have you read anything about lunar importance for most reptiles, when was the last Only time? when Owen makes fun of Eric. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said that in year two, and I was made fun of and banned <laughs> to the corner. Go to the corner. See, to me, I, still cycle. Think, I think there's a lot to the lunar cycles that we don't pick up on, even as people. Yes. Uh, and as far as it pertains to our animals, I don't know. I just well, think there's a lot. It more. certainly affects, it affects uh, people. 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, look at werewolves. 
<laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Uh, but I was going to say, too, it, it absolutely affects uh, aquatic uh, life. When I was pretty plugged into the bass fishing thing, like Ooh. moon was everything. When you were preparing for tournaments, you had to check the moon, see what was In up. case people don't know, Lucas is like a jack of all trades. I'm yeah. just I just can't figure out what to do. <laughs> so I do everything. <laughs> he, you know, he, he's he's at that young stage of his life where he just tries everything. Yeah, all the yeah. Time, you know? He's just throwing shit at the wall to see. I've never stays. been able to to grasp onto one thing. It's That's always okay. got to be all over the place. It's more fun that way. Yeah. Um, if you talk to a lot of field herpers, they will tell you that going out on a full moon is a waste of time. Hundred percent. Right. I can tell you. <clears throat> me and Rob have had this conversation and like all of our trips are planned around the moon. Every single one of them, everyone, because uh, you're going to travel halfway around the world. You know, you want to have the best opportunities. It's not yep. that snakes don't come out when the moon is full or something like that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but like you want to have the best opportunities for success, you know? Now. So let's, let, let's unpack that. What's happening when we have a full moon, the earth is closer to the moon, right? Yeah, the moon is closer. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think because, maybe I don't because know. Because <laughs> what, what's happening is it's it's when we see less of it, it's it's our position relative to the sun with the moon, because it's it's like a monthly cycle almost, right? Well, the sun's somewhere as well, right? The sun also has to do with this because the moonlight is just the sun reflecting off the big cheese thing, right? And that's and that's why the 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 moon is blocked at times, correct? It's like right when the sun slivers of is, it and it grows. is blocked by the earth and not hitting the moon directly to to illuminate it, I believe. Okay, so there's when when a moon <laughs> is fully visible and fully eclipsed, there it's we could argue from our layman's lack of lunar astrology and understanding that there's probably some difference in the magnetic relationship going on on earth that we as people don't pick up on that maybe our animals do well the moon cycle certainly affects the tides um, right you know with, that's with what i was gonna say 100 percent um but then I'm what is that sure what physics. about what about well it i mean it obviously does something we're 70 percent water right yeah no, no, isn't <laughs> the moon is pulling me <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, i don't know no. They just feel less gravity, so they're like, "Shit, we got to go underground, or we got to get pulled into space." I think it's <clears throat> so. I think it's probably. <laughs> I think it's probably a mix of the fact yeah. that, like owls or, you know, um, mm -hmm. birds, birds, birds of prey or whatever would be would be hunting at night and right. would be much easier to pick you off in a full moon. Right. Yeah. So, just just yeah. better vis visibility. I think you. that's. I think we could all see that. That makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Because it's easier to see on a full moon out, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And when there's no moon and no stars and it's pitch black, you can't see shit. Yeah. Right. Unless yeah. you're designed to be nocturnal, you know, like a reptiles. Lot of reptiles. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. so we've just sort of roundabout found a way to justify paying attention to the moon as far as our <laughs> captives are are concerned well, right what i noticed this is what i noticed and again this is just my observation so it's not saying that this is true but like um paying attention to the moon cycle um for your and i just got this from eugene Bissett, right when we had him on he started talking about how his you know he has a moon calendar <laughs> that he gets every year and his breedings and all these things are based off of that cycle 
And I would have liked to have talked to him more in depth about it. Um, but um, he was saying about how he noticed that all his animals will, well, not all, you know, because I'm sure he had, you know, 30,000 animals or whatever, you know, some crazy number. But, um, you know, he would notice more sheds and stuff during um, a full moon. Right. So I started paying attention to it. And yeah, sure enough, man, that's sort of how it works. Now, really? that could be based around my feeding schedule. You know, I mean, so it's hard to tell. Is this the case? You know, but I don't know. It just seemed odd that you would have all your animals shedding or in shed at this time. And, you know, hmm. I, you know, I don't know. It's just that, that is certainly interesting. I think that at the very least, it can be a variable that we cross reference our observations against, right? So, like, mm-hmm. if we notch down every time we see a lock or something, you and know, sometimes it. we can correlate right. that with rain events. Yeah. But maybe if we also cross-check it against what the moon's doing, maybe we would see a trend after a long period of time. Yeah, you, you could collect enough data to to justify that for sure. Right. Just yeah, worth, worth the, the thought. The, yeah. Yeah, the tricky part would be the feeding part of it, right? Because if you're mm-hmm. feeding them at a certain time, then, you know, they'll go and go into a shed at a certain time, which. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, uh, you know, it could be. But yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's just I think there's so much we don't know mm. uh, still. Oh, yeah. We, it, you know, we probably have just scratched the surface as far as like the collective hobby and understanding of reptiles and what we're doing is just digging deeper and just going. Yes. I, yeah, I, yes. I think the snakes part of it, right. It seems like that hobby sort of, uh, embrace the, um, maybe because snakes don't have the same type of behaviors as, you know, say li- big lizards or lizards. Um, and maybe they seem more like, uh, you know, a pet dog or more intelligent or whatever you want to say. And like when you look at the smaller animals like dart frogs and geckos, they lend themselves to have more of these naturalistic enclosures. So they sort of were pushed forward because of those reasons, whereas snake mm-hmm. keepers sort of were like, OK, I need to have this species and I really like this species. And it's just like, how can I get all of these into one spot? Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, look, a rack. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just becomes the normal and it kind of works. So why push to change it? And right. I don't know. It's just like what was what was written in, in Dr. Lofman's paper. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really interesting thought. Yeah. As I, as I look at all my snakes and racks. Snakes and racks, right? Yeah, I know. I know. Um, but that you, so I think it's I think it's safe to say that we're in the middle of, of a transition from at least portraying a rack system as a universal one size fits all. Yeah. As a hobby, right. we are at a transition. Say that it's a it's a an invisible arc of of discovery and progress, and we're somewhere on the climb towards uh, a. a universal understanding that although racks are suitable and work for a lot of species, there are other options. And, and, and I think actually it might've been Dylan from the animals at home podcast. Somebody had a a discussion a while back that was suggesting how we need to like, as a, as a hobby, not recommend racks as the approach for keeping fur new and first time keepers. But 
because we as breeders see that and find success in it. That's what we communicate, but we need to remember that there's this whole other way of keeping and folks that aren't into it for the same reasons we are don't find this appealing and they, they want or even need the the exploratory process of dialing in a, a nice naturalistic cage or something. Mm. And it's, a, it's, it's very different. And I, I, I just found that very like intellectually stimulating to think about the way we communicate how these animals are cared for based on our needs or somebody else's. Yeah, I, I think a beginner would learn and grow as a keeper exponentially more by doing one really well evidence-based naturalistic mm-hmm. setup for, for one animal versus uh, getting a rack and, and having 10 in their first like two months or whatever, you know, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. Like, what yeah. are you learning through yeah. that other yeah. than the fact that you have a lot of animals now, you know, compared right, yeah. comparatively at least. And I think too, like, I think folks need to move on and grow out of the, a snake is a snake mindset. Like we don't think of other animals that way. If we thought that all birds were birds, like that just seems silly. Like a hawk is clearly different to us than a pigeon. Right. No. <laughs> In terms of, behavior what they like how they exist what their habits are even intelligence i think a red tail hawk is probably a lot smarter than a rock pigeon um Mm -hmm. and if i was keeping a pigeon i would keep it a lot different than i would a hawk and Mm -hmm. i think the same can be said for snakes like each one is so different from the other and that's why that's in in my mind why there's value in evaluating each species individually with natural history, ecology, you know, like actually analyzing how that species lives, you know, because they're not one size fits all and, and nothing is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. You say that it's sort of like the debate that, you know, has always been around about diamond pythons. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you, I guess you could in theory, keep them the same way as you keep regular carpets. right? Right. But is that the right way for the long term health of the animal? You know, um, right. I, I, I believe that, that I don't know. This was another thing that I found interesting about that podcast was that he was talking about, <clears throat> um, ostriches, and finches are <laughs> <laughs> ostriches are about as smart as a finch. I'll tell you that. That's, that's kind of like intelligence are not. Yeah. A one-to-one Australian ratio. scrubs are more closely related to tannin bar scrubs. So the biggest one and the smallest one is <laughs> just weird. Yeah. Um, anyway, they, um, uh, I forgot. I lost track of what I was saying um, about uh, diamonds. Diamonds. Yeah. Oh, that I, I just can't imagine that they, they need, I, I just, I can't see how they can't benefit from, from UV. Right. And, um, it was sort of brought up in that discussion on the podcast where they were talking about uh, the uh, false water cobra and, right. you know, mm-hmm. he switched out the lamps with the UV and the hotspot and it went to, it didn't go, it went to the spot where it thought the UV was, which is right. kind of interesting in itself and that behavior. And then it moved away from there and went to the back to where the UV was. Um, so, you know, does it make them feel more comfortable, which then in turn, uh, alleviate stress, which is best for the animal long term. You know, I just thought that conversation was just fantastic. 
Yeah, it's really good. Really, mm-hmm. really good. Absolutely. I mean, heck, we might even find that at the very least, access to UVB just helps them maintain a a, a more vital immune system and keeps yeah. them better suited to fight off, you know, uh, tips uh, tips in the scale and the bacterial load or whatever. Sure, sure. Here's going to be a crazy thought. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I know this has no, you know, validity as far as like, uh, you know, uh, what I'm about to say, but could it be that, you know, that the snake's immune system would be much better uh, to fight off, say, nidovirus um, if they had a more um, that UV provided, uh, you know, uh, better um that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, it, it just to uh, strengthen their immune system so mm-hmm. that they could fight it or fight it. Yeah. Off. Well, no, I would, I would argue it. it <clears throat> we, we would probably see at least animals better suited to handle with it. I mean, there's mm-hmm. all, I, I can't help but thinking there's something more to UV that we don't process in the reptile world that like other folks get. Cause like in, in aquarium aquaculture, UV sterilizers are a thing in aquariums to help um curb and and fight off and and you know over overpower algae growth right and algae isn't necessarily like viral or bacterial per se but i just think about how just uv having water pass through uv sterilizes it and how that's incorporated into aqua systems and why that's important yep like we we deny its importance in other realms i don't know Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's super interesting, but also just from a completely surface level tier of thought, right. Not requiring any right. rocket science. That's all we're uh, doing right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, just from that perspective, I think that it's safe to assume that the species of snake who are out during the day, who are primarily baskers that are diurnal uh, clearly in that instance, they will be more evolved to take in and utilize UVB in some way than species that maybe are always in a dense canopy live in the darkness, you know, are not reliant on a daytime basking uh, experience. Right. So just from that, that perspective, of looking at natural history and thinking about which species are just out and about in the sunlight. You know, those animals are going to be taking in that light in some way, especially the ones that are like diamond pythons, jet black. Like what does that color do? It absorbs more heat and radiation and sunlight. Um, Sure. You know, just that's my thought. Yeah. (laughs) Whether you. it is a, a, a significant <clears throat> level of vitamin D synthesis or whatever, you know, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't found that paper that can tell me that for sure. But I do yeah. know that there are some snakes that like hanging out in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think we get, you know, I think it's just that kind of thing where we get used to, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, do other groups of reptile keepers find that statement of if it's not broke don't fix it some or yeah yeah i think some do okay because i was gonna say like is it it seems to be the approach with snakes right but i don't know if that fall it seems like monitors seem to 
I don't know. I guess you can't really keep a monitor in a rack, you know? So it kind of like mm-hmm. some people try. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> yeah, dude. Some people do it. Do they? Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, there's probably some asshole out there keeping a crocodile <laughs> in a rack, you know. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, I've seen it. Um, you know, wow, uh, what uh blue tongues, that's another one. Like the the blue tongue skink world oh, is yeah, that's very, a good point. Yeah. very divided on that. Um yeah. you know, I have personally worked with blue tongues in racks with without any observation of it doing them any injustice especially the little guys um and i've seen is it because, they're closer, to, is it because they're closer to snakes because they have the short little arms. maybe they behave very similar <laughs> i want to be one of them the i don't have the long legs like the monitor so i don't need you to be <laughs> yeah exactly so it's it's leg length. We figured it out. The shorter the leg, the less UV you need. Oh, okay. there you go. Mystery solved. Asterisk. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> nobody We're nobody hold us accountable. Oh, here you go. Here you go. My right. approach in 2020. Uh-oh. Okay, Savannah uh, or Manor. Oh. Double B. You know, I, now that guy. I remember seeing an old video where they were panning across something and he had a, a water monitor in like a six foot freedom reader rack. And I was like, holy shit. He also had a big ass berm in the one below. And I was like, this can't be good. Um, wow. But yeah, that, I think I was old. I don't think he necessarily still does that. But yeah, it, it's, I don't know. I think, I think you could travel the world and find somebody who just does everything completely different than what we think is acceptable. Right. You know, uh, watching my dad get excited about a leopard gecko, like he never knew that they existed before. I guess I'm thinking back like in the eighties when I was growing up really wasn't that I don't, I'm sure they were around maybe and people were breeding them, but it wasn't like a, a pet shop staple like it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just like he's just ama- he's just amazed by this thing, right? And I'm I'm sitting there and I'm 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 trying to look at it and say like, my dad is he's he's worked with venomous and like you know I, I, every species uh, you can think of he's had and crocodilians and turtles and all these things, and he's just enamored with this leopard gecko, and. I'm thinking about it and I'm like, why, why is it that I think that a leopard gecko is boring? And I'm like, okay, so maybe the approach should be that, you know, don't think about price. Don't think about anything other than, you know, what's a, what's a corn snake go for like 25 bucks or something like that. Right. Anywhere from 20 to hundred bucks, 150 for the high ends, 175 for some like Hide sighted blood red stuff. Right. Yeah. But your but your normal but like OPC low end is like oh yeah, 50 bucks. 50 bucks. Okay. Yeah. So like just approach your reptile like every reptile was worth 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. Right? Every single one of them were worth 50 bucks. What would you keep? That's what you should keep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think that's like I think what that gets down to is the pure essence of what you really like, which is what you and Owen always talked about on NPR is keep what you like. Don't yeah, keep man. up with the Joneses. Keep what you like. Mm-hmm. And I see it all the time at work because on the retail end of things, I I you know, I mean the, the majority of our customer base are pet keepers, right? 
uh, right. you know, family, mom and dad, a couple kids, bearded dragon sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, every once in a while, I'm pleasantly reminded about that sort of, you know, just genuine approach. Like there was a kid in the other day who's 10 and he knows what a lace monitor is. He knows what black dragons are and he knows all these things. And he's, he's enamored with the the hobby and, and <laughs> Carly, you're the worst Jones out there. Um, he's, a, he's enamored with the hobby and he loves all this stuff and he sees the advanced stuff and he sees the little things, but he still loves his bearded dragon. You know why? because he acknowledges his limitations and how much space and time he has. And he loves his personality and how it, how he can hand feed it, how it responds, how it runs away, how it sleeps, all these things that he finds relatable and, and he connects with Mm -hmm. and he appreciates all these other monitors, but he himself was like, I'm not ready for that, you know? And, and he's not, He's not looking at the price on the black dragon babies. He's not looking at the price on the leopard geckos. He's looking at the animal. He's like, well, those are cool because they do this. And these are cool because they do this. And he's just, and he's like that, that youthful reminder of why we got into reptiles. Yeah. Let me try to clarify my point again, because, um, so what I'm saying is, is that I'm not saying that all reptiles should be the same price. I'm not saying that right. at all. I'm saying right. for yourself, you should mm-hmm. approach it by looking at the reptile and just saying like, if this was $20, would I keep it? Or am I keeping this? And let's, let's be honest. Let's put all our cards on the table, right? you always want to be the person that's doing it. You want to be that person that, you know, is, has that exotic thing or, you know, whatever it would be. Um, you know, whether we're talking, um, I don't know, uh, Boland's pythons, uh, Borneo right. earless monitors, uh, you, you name <laughs> it. Just try to think of that animal, you know, um, and are you keeping it because it has sort of a, you know, a badge of look at me? Um, or are you, are you keeping it because you really, really enjoy the animal? For mm-hmm. me, I wouldn't care if carpet pythons were a dollar. I would keep them. You know, mm-hmm. I take a lot of shit from like guys like Scott and stuff that are, you know, call them crappets <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. And when I'm there with the guys in Australia, they're enamored with all these monitors and venomous and all this yeah. stuff. And I'm like, nah, I just like the carpets. And I guess that's <laughs> the equivalent of like somebody coming to the US and being like, nah, man, I just like rat snakes and garter snakes. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, where's those garter snakes? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like timber rattlesnakes? No, no, yeah. just throw me yeah. to garters, man. And it's yeah. just, if everything no was 20 bucks, I would have so many blackheads <laughs> <laughs> i love them so much uh, but that's yeah. exactly the point you just yeah. you know keep what you love don't keep it for the 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 showmanship the badge of honor the look at me aspect exactly, exactly. and like i guess for me how i saw that play out in front of me was watching my dad be enamored with this this leopard gecko that's just like you know, he's got the, and then he's got this emerald green skink, which I never yeah, even know. Those are thing. cool as shit. They're super cool. I got to yeah, set yeah. a few of those up at, at the vivarium. Yeah. And yeah. So here's the crazy thing, right? He opens the door in the morning and the thing comes out, jumps yep. on his shoulder. It like yep. runs around and goes down <laughs> his back and then jumps on the table and it runs around the table and then jumps back on him. And then he puts it back. Yeah. Out. yeah. They're yeah. amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. They're like 60 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> So, 
he got uh he just got a couple he got he wanted to get you know a couple of them so he had a group so now mm-hmm. he has like uh i think he has 1.3 one point one point two right nice. and he has it set up in this beautiful beautiful cage that you know and and again like not what impresses me is it's like he's not going to the internet to look up this stuff he's just doing it from i guess his his understanding of how reptiles works and like i come over and i'm looking at the cage and i'm like I said, how did you figure this out he's like what are you talking about i just did it <laughs> you mean he uses critical thinking skills god damn it <laughs> what <laughs> yeah 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 but, it's cool yeah it's yeah. just it's just cool because i would never necessarily keep a leopard gecko but i gotta be honest man i'm sitting there and he's it's it's like i always say right if you're into a species you know if you're into the species and you really like this species you want more people to know about it like don't knock another species you know like Mm. when we first started out you know it was always like this ball python hate and not necessarily hate not for me maybe from owen but (laughs) 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 but uh as we progressed, I, I, I would listen back to, you know, to, uh, to us. And, and it was like, wow, that sounds kind of like negative. So like, let's the approach be rather than, you know, say how, Oh, our carpets are so much better than ball pythons or whatever. Just talk about why carpets are cool. And like people that like get excited by your enthusiasm will just, come along and check it out and maybe there'll be ones that like it that like we don't all have to like the same thing but i guess there's this like you know apple versus android uh (laughs) snakes versus you know yeah it's like everything is like just this divide where it's you know i don't know just i mean let's face it the carpet pythons aren't the most expensive snakes that you could buy out there so Right. I, I don't think any one of us is is into our species to get rich you know they're not the the hottest market or anything so but yeah i mean that's all wise perspective it's really important to keep that in perspective and i think what you what you just had happen to you was you you accidentally recalibrated watching your dad yeah and now you got Aki's coming yeah <laughs> i'm like god damn it that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Ackies. Yeah. they're pretty fun they're pretty yeah. fun so I, I figure if I stay within the Australia box, I'm good. You know, don't get a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how we were gonna cut that in. Oh, that was my favorite message. That was ever. incredible. Yeah. Owen, 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 Owen sent a picture or I guess a video of his his fiance's squirrel. squirrel. It's, well, it's now his squirrel too. I guess it's his squirrel too. Yes, adopted child. Uh, Owen, Owen starting a, re- a whole animal sanctuary. He's got a mort. He's got a squirrel. <laughs> we need to learn the squirrel's name. He's uh, uh, it's Archer. Archer the Archer, squirrel. Yeah. He okay. called it Archer in the video. He's like Archer. So for Archer. me, when I saw that, because I didn't know people could have squirrels, <laughs> I assumed it <laughs> must have been some rare like. Ooh, it's it's not just a squirrel. It's like a sugar glider or like a Madagascar pygmy squirrel. I don't there's, know. You know, like there's different types of squirrels out there, oh, like yeah. full on species and coats and color patterns and things like that. But yeah, absolutely. I think, I think so every- I said, "Is that a squirrel?" And he said, "Yes." <laughs> and I said, "Why?" <laughs> 
It reminded me of that scene in Rat Race when they were driving <laughs> down the hill and it's like, you should have bought a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, uh, squirrels. We, uh, my, my boss found a little, uh, a baby squirrel pinky that had fallen out of a tree one day and he, and he brought it to the shop and we put it in one of the rat bins with a nursing mom in hopes that she would nurse it and raise it up so we could have a shop squirrel. She didn't. There were some black squirrels in Santa Cruz. I don't know if that's a squirrel morph, but melanistic squirrels. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The squirrel morph is about to uh, be the new booming market. Squirrel breeder. (laughs) Philly's only squirrel breeder. Melanistic squirrels. I want to. I want to. I want to paint for the listeners the 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 message. Right. It goes. Owen just has this video (laughs) pop up, and it's this page. With a squirrel running around the cage, right? And it's just running around the cage. It's like, it's like uh, National Lampoon's vacation or uh, Christmas vacation when the squirrels run through the tree. So then Riley says, "Is that a squirrel?" And he's like, "Yes." And I could, I could just hear Owen and his pain in his voice, yes. just by his word, just yes. yes, yes, it's a squirrel. <laughs> And then somebody said, I think, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if you asked another question and then Lucas comes in and he said, I actually have it here. Riley said, so cool. Owen said it was in Florida and it was illegal in PA, but we got a license. (laughs) And I said, holy shit. Is that actually a squirrel? (laughs) So Owen played it off because he didn't want the squirrel. I'm sure. And he was like, oh, you can't keep them in PA. Well, when his fiance came up, she called. And they're like, yeah, we'll give you a license. And I can see Owen going, damn it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, all too easy. Yeah, so she called. They gave her a license. Owen uh, probably like, god damn it. For the love of God. <laughs> yep, there, there's Archer. Uh, Archer. <laughs> yeah, there he is. It's incredible. Oh, it's absolutely God. incredible. Yeah. Oh, man. Owen, what has he done? He got it. He got engaged. He got a tortoise. He's got a squirrel. Yeah. I mean, he's, we I, all have to remember this is the man that walked into a Wawa with a kangaroo in his backpack. Like that's true. That's true. That's we yeah, shouldn't true. be surprised. <laughs> you know, the funny thing when we were in Australia, right? Owen was like just as excited about the mammals as he was about the reptiles like seriously like i mean we were all excited to see the mammals but he was really geeking out like he's like oh no this is red kangaroo that's a gray kangaroo uh you know oh look a wallaby wombat you know all these (laughs) it's just like wow okay you know oh no he he was like uh really uh really into it he's been in pa for a long time he hasn't gotten out much yeah yeah, that's true that's true yeah the world is here get out of it Get out. <laughs> oh my uh, gotta love the guy, but yeah, <laughs> witty son of a bitch. Yep. Well, he we, we definitely have to to do one where he can join us one of these weeks. Yeah. We gotta figure yeah. it out because that would just be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe a Sunday one. We'll we'll see if there's a Sunday he's off. You know, He's he's all stoked one minute. He's like, I'm unemployed. I've been laid off. I've got nothing. Yeah, to he's making all these comments. Hmm, let me check my schedule. Eh, it's wide open for months. I was just like, yeah. like, ha ha, I'm gonna get him again. And 
And then finally, like, hey, oh, and you want to join us? No, nah, I got work. Like, work? What the, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And the best part, too, is you know he doesn't listen to these. So yeah. we could, like, oh, make no. a plot. Yeah. We could we could have a running joke for when he actually joins us. Yeah. Or something like that. Send him more squirrels. <laughs> Send yeah. him squirrels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it's going to a squirrel, a squirrel sanctuary soon. It's gonna be a squirrel park. Wounded squirrels and rehabilitation. There's and just gonna be like fake trees in his living room. They're they're free roaming with yeah. yeah he's just like his retics. He's gonna have. Uh, uh, <laughs> I can see him now. I didn't think this out clearly. Uh, the retics got out, and it didn't end well for the squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> We're no longer a squirrel sanctuary, and I'm divorced. Oh man. <laughs> Imagine a squirrel riding around on Mort in his house and Owen just sitting there with a, a beer like, what? <laughs> yes, I saw that. God well, damn it. <laughs> if you know anything about Zero, that's not going to happen. True, <laughs> uh, yeah, true. Zero would be on that like a freaking fly on shit. Owen's band of misfit toys, his one-eyed Maclots, his squirrel, <laughs> his weird-ass dog that eats random shit. His retics that headbutt through glass. Although he got retics. So. Yeah, they're gone. He, yeah, they're gone. He's yeah. free. He, he celebrated that quite. Mm. I wonder what he put in those big cages. More colubrids. He's going to need them for when his false water cobra pair grows up. Oh, yeah, that's true. He did mention that at one point. Yeah. They, they were really cool, man. I, I I got to see them in his quarantine spot. Oh, and, nice. Nice, nice. They were, they were really neat. So I've never cool. seen them in person. Like, um they've you know, certainly Jack won me Jack. over yeah yeah they they're very similar to dry Markon as far as their right. behavior and how visually cute and they are and diurnal and a lot of their like almost similar species like it's really mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. crazy how alike they are um minus the 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 flat hooding behavior obviously right. um mm. so and you know the rear fang venom side of things. That thing. Uh, ah. Although I don't, I've heard and seen photos of people who've taken like a falsy bite to the arm and like a little chew thing, and yeah. it's like swollen and red for the day, and then the next day you just have little bite cuts like a cat chewed on you sort of thing. Uh, obviously, okay. everybody's body reacts differently, so that's the key. It's just you're you're getting foreign proteins introduced to your system and and yeah. you're going to yeah. react the way you react you know with with the falsies at the at the at the shop at the vivarium there was a lot of different people working with them a lot of my coworkers have been bit and everybody had a different experience so yeah. one yeah. thing i will say though is i don't think that you can use the just don't let them chew on you thing for falsies yeah, because their mouth it opens so wide and yeah. it's like if they bit you they bit you like they don't need to work to get those those yeah. rear teeth into their, you. Their jawline goes back, and I don't yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they have the elastic properties to separate their their top and bottom jaw segments. I don't think they have hmm, the, interesting. The same I'm actually not sure. My Kribos definitely don't. I know Dry Mark Hunt don't, which is why smaller meals are suggested. But um, just because they can't do that doesn't mean their mouth isn't just like massive already. Yeah, it goes like way back. And the yeah. second they grab onto something, they're already doing. Oh that. yeah, they're so, <laughs> they're so fast. Yeah. I mean, they don't wrap. <laughs> they start eating. They the just male, chew. <laughs> the male I worked with years ago in Santa Barbara, he would shoot out of the door, 
pass the rat and come backwards to get it ass first because you you know he's an ass. <laughs> But he'd always eat things ass first, but he, Susie, he's like, it's just like, yeah, gone. it's gone. <laughs> Inhaled. So my favorite one is, is I forget where I heard this story, but somebody that had falsies, it might've been Loafman, but it, I don't remember. They said that every time out of the cage, just, you know, bolts out of the cage and then would chase the, the feet with socks on them around oh, the room, thinking yeah. that the socks were rodents and you'd just yeah. be dancing, trying to avoid the snake. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I've been in that. that like fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've had good luck. Good luck with... hooking that snake. <laughs> oh yeah, they are like freaking butter on a hot knife, dude. They are just yeah. shoo off of. <laughs> Even I'm so excited. <laughs> they 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 really test your skills. You'll get real good at using a double hook if you practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're good. They they climb hooks. They'll. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't really anchor on with their tails too much, but they uh, they just they do what they want and they'll just, <laughs> they'll just fly right off them at your face or onto the floor or whatever. You just have to be able to react. That's the thing. And yeah, maybe wearing clothes to choose is a, a wise protocol. Um, my my big male Krebos on the floor down here, and and when I feed him, I've done it several times where I load up the the rat or whatever it is on hemostats or tongs, and I look mm-hmm. down and my feet are bear and i'm like shit i didn't think this through yeah. and i've had to do the the hot feet hot feet dancing around like he's going for my toes and i stick the rat in his way and oh, like, i just love the up. visual of that Dude, it, it's, yeah. it's a very real prospect like in one second my whole big toe could be in his mouth and it just would be you know very Not fun no Not fun i've had my thumb in his mouth before mm. um you know, the hides that you, you know, the little door on the hide, don't, don't ever just stick your thumb in there and lift up for a Kribo. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, they do wow. that really well, really well. It's a nice circus. I taught him that. Uh, <laughs> so. How, uh, are, are they still breeding? Are they, or what do you, oh yeah, what's up with that? I, they're so weird. They're so weird. I think they're, they have a very, very specific window. And I was on Black Pearl's website the other day reading sort of John Michaels and his partners breakdown of, of how they approach breeding. And, and the, they included some behavioral tidbits in there, which I'm seeing. So they give you a lot of feedback when the female's not ready, basically. Like, You'll see a lot of retic people talk about it when they throw a male in the female shirt, shrug them off and be really like noticeably like, no, no. And they pull the male out because he could take some serious damage if, if his males are going to be one track mind, right? With creepos, if the male isn't ready, um, he'll just think of her as food, which obviously happened when I put them in a little too early, gave her a month off. And then I had, um, seen some, some good calm behavior out of out of him. I was feeding them very small meals and their just activity went down. I put them in and there was a day, I want to say it was like maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. And uh, her behavior was entirely different. Um, and that's what I mean. Like they're very expressive with their behavior. She, in the first intros, uh, the best behavior I saw out of her was tolerance. Um, even when the male was gentle and pursuant, she right. would at best would tolerate him, but she was still like fleeing a bit. 
Um, but it, it's interesting because I think I think she knows that they're snake eaters. They know that her mm. movements weren't. She wasn't just running away right away. They're very calculated movements. She would wait till he, he like wasn't looking, and then she'd like slowly take off, sort of thing. But when she was receptive, and I did get uh, get some confirmed lockup, um, instantly their behavior was different. When I put him in with her, I had pulled her out and then put them back in together. And they started moving and he started following her with a little bit more deliberation, but then she would stop and let Uh him catch up. And normally when she's not ready, she's like rattling the tail and like doing all this very, very clear behavior that she's not in the mood. Um, And they sort of do that anyway. So you kind of have to gauge like, is she serious or is this just her like filter flirting sort of thing? But then she lined up and I saw him doing this really head down, like, uh, 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 like very side to side, very intent twitching behavior. And then she sort of just like moved into position, which she doesn't ever do. And like, let him lie. She didn't move. And he kind of did like a lap, got into position. And then all of a sudden she put her tail up. And at that point I let him go and just, you know, I wasn't concerned about him eating her at that point. And I didn't want to interrupt because they kept, they're very visually focused. They were focusing Mm -hmm. on me. As soon as I leave and come back, he was lined up with her. She was underneath him. She was like very tolerant and cordial as opposed to being um, tolerant and trying to flee when she could. She was receptive and it was very noticeable. Then I separated them later that afternoon after they were like she her behavior changed like six hours later. She went right back under the hide, wanted nothing to do with him. And then I pulled him out and it was interesting how quick that behavior cue she gave me was. Cause we don't see that with carpets at all. No. They just sort of tolerate or go somewhere yeah. else. Just rest. Mm-hmm. And so then I gave her a week off, or actually two weeks. The male went through a shed, a very long shed. And, uh, and I was worried I was going to miss her window because he was taking such a long shed. He finally sheds. I put him in and did the same thing. Took her out of the hide, sprayed it down, put them back in together and she was instantly not the same. She was like, nope, I want nothing to do with him. Hiding, running away, rattling the tail, fleeing from him like the first times. And wow. so there's a, it seems to me, and, you know, I guess if I get eggs out of her, whether they're fertile or not, um, you know, I'll sort of confirm this. But it seems that they have a very narrow fertility window for the females anyway. And it's earlier than pythons. It's definitely in December in in just i don't know everything seems like if they start cooling early they breed early as far as my my you know sort of clock with everything here is mm-hmm. and uh yeah i don't know i think she's gravid i think you know i think they they locked up they got it done every time i i check on her i pull her out and feel her and let her go back in and i'm seeing scale separation she's looking big I'm going to offer her some food today and I'm very curious to see what her response to that is. Cause mm. typically I feed them year round. I just, you know, decrease the size and frequency in the cooler months. So we'll see, but uh, I don't know, man, it's freaking roller coaster. Cool. From that, that would story. be very cool. <laughs> yeah. So, go from nearly having her eaten to reproducing that. Would yeah. <laughs> so are they, are they considered, in a, you know, a, a, an easy animal, uh, somewhat difficult or difficult to breed, where do they fall? I would say they're probably, probably in an intermediate, I wouldn't call them difficult. Um, because if you know when they 
sort of cool down if you know ahead of time that their breeding season comes a little bit earlier and and you 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 know you get them up to size and you're able to watch them i think anybody mm-hmm. could pull it off right uh, i think the biggest challenge is with them as a species is not overfeeding them um not overheating them because they're not very tolerant of excessive heat and then I think the other challenge comes in the incubation of their eggs because they need to be incubated in the, the high 70s. So mm. uh, I don't wow. think it's necessarily – I don't think they're necessarily sensitive or anything, but the temperature is very unique. They like it cooler. They like humidity. They need water. A good variety in their diet lends to healthier scale condition and probably fertility as well. So I wouldn't say they're difficult. I just think um, we're just not – different. Seeing- yeah, I think it's just very different. It doesn't yeah. fit in any of the prescribed timelines or approaches or or anything for other species. Like if you work with you know any boas or pythons, th- incorporating dry marcon into your into your system of care is going to take some very special consideration, just because they don't like it that hot and they do need some humidity and they do go sooner. So if you do get eggs. You know, you got to make sure that doesn't impact the rest of your species because, you know, you can't just throw Kribo eggs in a, a low 80s incubator without, <laughs> it, you know, it needs to be in the 70s. So interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think the other reason why we don't see so many people working with them is because they weren't a flashy, well-known species over the last 10 years while the popular stuff kind of occupied the, the lion's share of everybody's focus. And now that we're seeing people diverging into other species, people are starting to take notice, but the supply has never been there to, to fill the demand. So it still seems like an elusive thing to get Kribos. And sometimes that lends to concern about difficulty in breeding. And I, I think my incident where my male almost killed and ate the female is probably rarer than, um, than, you know, one might think. Sure. I don't think it happens that often. I think even uh, John over at Black Pearl was a little surprised. So, yeah. So what's the, the thought as far as, um, you know, I'm just thinking as you were talking that there's there, there's a lot of demand, but little or, you know, not enough supply. Mm-hmm. And like as the reptile uh, hobby diversifies as far as like, you know, what people are keeping and whatnot. um. I think it's kind of a good thing. And as far as like somebody that's producing, say, water pythons and they only produce, you know, there's only, say, like three clutches produced in the U.S., let's say, a year. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's accurate, but like they sure are hard to find. Yeah. Um, you know, is you would think that you wouldn't be able to, you know, at, at some point that you wouldn't be able to sell something like that. But like now that people are diversifying and species like that may take interest to somebody. Now, maybe it's not going to be, uh, you know, at the top 10 species that people are after, but you're going to sell enough to where that animal doesn't go extinct in captivity um, from the U S and, and still, you know, be able to keep the interest if you will you know what i mean uh, does mm-hmm. that make sense like yeah. i i think that's a good thing that the market is diversifying in as far as what they're looking at you know whether you know whatever that species that you were looking for you know hopefully more and more people will keep and that's why i, I always say like keep what you love because 
you know, again, people will, you'll be able to sort of sell that. Now you might not be able to make a living at it, but you may pay for your hobby and then maybe pay for a trip or, you know what I mean? Like eventually over time you might, you might be able to, uh, that might be a, a positive for, yeah. for the, for the reptile market. I don't it's know. What do you guys think? It's really interesting to see how there's like this ebb and flow, this bell curve of interest in the, the popular and abundant and then swinging back to the more obscure because I think things like colubrids are gaining more traction again these days. Corn snakes are being reappreciated. You know, I think I think we're seeing a lot of that happening. And and what's interesting is seeing in real time how the the prices on these things change and then how that affects the customer base further supply, further demand and, and so on and so forth. And, and I think it's kind of interesting to be in a position to contribute to the longevity of that species. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the handful of people who will produce black tail crebos over the next five years have a little bit of responsibility in their decision-making as for the longevity of that species based on, how many they produce, what price, who they sell them to, things like that. And, and I think, you know, collectively you people could put their, their heads together, do something with the long term of a species in mind like that and really focus on keeping them around. But it's, you know, you don't want to overproduce. You don't want to flood the market. You don't want to oversaturate even just from, you know, the well-being of the animals if you produce too many and they're all sitting around, they're not going to good homes. Inevitably their care is going to go, go by the wayside. So I think it's kind of nice having those fringe species that maybe never gain popularity, but I think they should, should get a little bit more attention at least for the sake of keeping them around in the hobby. And I think I've said it before, I think that's where, you know, even if you're not like me and you work with one species and, and one species only, I think, even if you do specialize and do great things with that species, we all sort of have a responsibility to the hobby to maybe work with at least one obscure species in, in such a way to keep it around and keep people like, don't forget about this one over here. And, you know, maybe collectively we all keep all mm -hmm. these species around by having our little side interests here and there. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, to uh, acknowledge the uh, impact that some of the, uh, big viewership YouTube channels have on that as well in terms of exposing uh, their millions of viewers to more fringe species that maybe that particular person would have never heard of before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with Kribo, I know, uh, you know, a few years ago, I saw Yellowtail Kribo for the first time in a, in a bar check video. And I was like, what the heck is that? That's yep. giant and looks like a cobra. And then I looked it up, you know early on and in, mm -hmm. in my immersion and all this. So I think that that probably also has a bit of a hand in this movement towards a more diverse uh, collection and, and people trying to get into the uh, lesser kept species just because yeah, that the exposure is there for yeah. people to learn about them. Uh, I mean, the, the day Clint's reptiles dropped his video about those green skinks that your dad got, Eric, yeah. The day he dropped that video, we had gotten six of them in like a couple of days prior uh, in a shipment for the shop. The day he dropped that video, I sold all of them. 
Wow. Holy and shit. those yeah. people that came in had never heard of him before, and they all referenced his video. For better or for worse, those folks have a lot of power uh, yeah. on the collective consciousness of of the of the hobby. Yeah, I think uh, I think podcasts do too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the reptile mm-hmm. podcast do as well. And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to diversify um, some of the podcasts and like, you know, why do we have carpet cliff notes or, you know, being on carpets and coffee and all this kind of stuff, like, because maybe that's the outlet to sort of like talk about carpet pythons like we love. And then, you know, exposing people on are their main platform or any Python radio to, you know, uh, to be able to, to expand a little bit out, you know, um, and talk about things that we don't necessarily talk about all the time. You know, um, I think my thing was though. So what I've seen in the hobby over say the past 20 years that I've been back into it, um, is that what'll happen is, is that a species sort of like almost disappears, and then all of a sudden somebody starts selling them because probably because of an influence like, you know, a YouTuber or a podcast or whatever. And then all of a sudden it becomes like everybody's looking for it and they're not there, which drives the price up. And then you have all these people that sort of come along and at least in the past have sort of like, OK, I want to jump onto that because maybe I can make some extra money um, doing that. And, mm-hmm. you know, things like ring pythons or, you know, uh, the, the BM, BMKs or, you know, whatever, whatever species you pick. But what I'm starting to see is more people, you know, sort of just doing what they like. And, you know, again, you might not sell a ton of them, but at least there's somebody there doing it, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that I think sometimes people – I. You know, I used to equate the idea, whether you say a morph, whether you say uh, an obscure species, to me, it's the same idea, right? You want what you can't have. You want something that somebody else has that you find cool and you want it. So it's the same, my, at least in my brain, it's the same thing that drives me to want to work with that. It's like, oh, if I had this, I would be cooler. You know, or if I had this morph, I would be cooler. If I had this species, I would be cooler and people would think I'm legitimate um, rather than, to, I don't know. I, I just don't see the difference. Am I, am I wrong to think that way? I mean, you know, so I think sometimes the obscure species is, is a great in a concept that, you know, they shouldn't be lost and all this stuff. But like at the same time, I think at least for us, I, I want to try to portray this animal in a positive way tell you about the pros and cons and sort of say, okay, you know, um, if you, if you dig this, it's cool, you know, mm-hmm. but if you don't, doesn't mean you have to get this species. Yeah. If you don't get anything like- for the sake of just having it right. Or like to try and up your, your street cred, if you will, because if you don't yeah. love it, you're going to burn out and who suffers the animal suffers. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. yeah and I, I, I think if there was more, if there was, if there was more people, diversifying and even if you're just working with say false water cobras right if you're just the only guy that's working with false water cobras um yeah okay you know 
So we know that false water cobras are going to be out there. I think that the the responsibility you have at that point is to sort of like, why do you like false water cobras? And even if you don't have a podcast, you go on to a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever it would be and tell people why you find the species fascinating. And there's going to be, say, you know, say a hundred to a thousand people that say, wow, man, that guy really inspired me or that girl really inspired me. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to research a little more into false water cobras. And then like, you may say, uh, I really like this species and I want to give it a try or I don't. And, uh, you move on to the next one to see, you know, what you like or what you don't like, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of supreme value and being honest with yourself yeah. about what you like, regardless of what outside influences tell you. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with using those outside influences to calibrate and find out where yeah. you And it was sure. it was like when we when we chatted with Garrett, uh, I don't yeah. remember if that was a week or two ago, whatever that was, like I finished that session feeling extremely inspired about animals. Sure. Right. I didn't want to go buy a Kalatoa Superdorf. I wanted more <laughs> right. of my stuff. I was like, he loves Superdorfs and yeah. I yeah. love Womas or whatever, Blackheads, right. you know? So sure. it's like, I could, I could absorb that energy from him and, and feed off of his wavelengths of passion and excitement, but apply it to what my species are mm-hmm. um, instead of saying he likes those. So I need those. Um, yeah. It's like, so, so- so for me, when I was getting into pythons and 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 like wanting to uh, diversify my collection, right? You know, I would go over to Matt Minatola's house and look at his stuff, and he would show me, "Look at this, look at this," and I would be like, "Wow, that's amazing!" You know, that's really cool, and I I really dig this look, and that's awesome. And, you know, he would go on and say, "Oh yeah, you know, the cool thing about these and." you know, is this, and you can't breed and you're going to get all these different outcomes and the genetics are kind of up in the air and all these different, different things that are like, Oh wow. You know, that's, that's really cool. I tried them out. I, I don't like short tails. Like uh, it's not that I don't like the species, just they don't work yeah. for me. Personally. They're not your but snake. I love, I love what Matt's doing and Matt's the same way with carpets, right? Right. He, he has two, uh, one for me and one from Owen. Um, and he still has them and like, yeah, it's all great and good. And he listens to us ramble on about, about carpet pythons and whatnot. And we listen to him ramble on about short tails and we can appreciate where each other is coming from. And sometimes I even learn to apply things that he's talking about. Which I guess it's similar to what you're saying. Lucas is like, you know, although we might not be working with the same species, I can apply what you're doing and I can say, okay, can I work this into what I'm doing with my collection? And I think absolutely my, my best relationships with herpers are nine times out of 10 people that don't even keep what I keep, you know, (laughs) it's like, they don't, you know, like me and Rob, like Rob, he had carpets, he sent them to me and like, you know, he sent me things and I'm like, meh, I remember he sent me rosy boas and stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I just, I mean, they're awesome animals, but I just yeah. not, it's just not for me, man. You know, I had the same and, experience uh, with rosy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I want to like them, you know, I, they're I beautiful, like but they're not, I want to like them to keep them right. Like I do like them and I would love to see them in the wild and all that stuff. But like when you, I don't know. Uh, you, you try it out and it's, it's not your thing. There's nothing wrong with it not being your thing, you know? Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. What would be wrong was for you 
to know that it's not your thing and keep it anyway so that you can tell people you have it. But then like, you're not invested in the animal, right? Like, are you really, anyway? Yeah. <laughs> like, Hey, yeah. perfect. It becomes a chore. Living yeah. things shouldn't be a chore, especially when they yeah. have no say in the matter. <laughs> right. hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> Ooh, that's a that's a good question, Riley. That Summer just threw at you. Yeah, this is something that I struggled with too. So I just I quit. Working at the <laughs> I got scared and quit. That's what I did. What <laughs> do you take? That's a great question. Um, I actually learned um, to pay attention to this when I was first getting into zoos because. You know, in 2012, when they hired me on full-time in Santa Barbara, maybe it was 2011, I don't remember. Oh, sorry, I got distracted. Crebo's looking at me. Um, <laughs> he's just staring at me. I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, um, give me some food. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I remember asking my animal care director, I was like, hey, I know we're really good about quarantine with new animals and cross-contamination, this and that. I'm starting to collect reptiles at home. With, you know, do you have any recommendations or, or would you like me to do anything in particular because I have reptiles at home and I'm coming here to care for the reptiles here. And uh, ultimately what system I came up with was understanding how cross-contamination happens. Um, and, and mainly with ectoparasites it's you know it's it's contact base or with viruses and diseases it can be contact base or fluid transfer things like that so you know learning proper quarantine when we bring new animals into the zoo and how we separate them in an entirely different building we don't interact with them till the end of the day or have people interact with them that aren't going to interact with the reptiles you start to see how you can put these uh, procedural barriers to prevent cross-contamination. So for me, I don't come into my reptile room here in the morning before I go to work other than to like turn lights on. I don't, I don't do any spot cleaning in the morning. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm certainly not messing with animals if I have any in quarantine. And then I go to work and do my thing. And then when I come home before I do anything in here, I'll fully shower or at the very least change clothes because I wash my hands throughout the day a ton. So I know my hands are clean, but I will purposefully make sure that I have like clothes that I wear for work, clothes that I, you know, just whatever street clothes. And I just try and not come into the reptile room after being at the shop. Now, the challenge is at, in reptile shops, it's pretty much impossible to quarantine. Mm -hmm. So we sort of treat the collection as two groups. We have our breeding collection and stuff in the back, and then we have the, the retail collection in the front. So it, it you'll never execute perfect quarantine without separate buildings, separate days, full suits, like separate, you know, like air ventilation, doing intake exams that require blood testing, NIDO testing, fecal signaling crypto and then you do that over the course of however many months and then have an exit exam that also follows up with another round of blood sampling fecal testing all these other things so i mean what i'm saying is proper quarantine is pretty much impossible unless you work in a zoo and have extra buildings and all this stuff uh and a lot of money but uh yeah it comes down to being conscientious about cross-contamination and the more you can do to limit that the the better you and your animals will will do 
So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that must be a struggle for a lot of like, say, big breeders, you know, uh, that, that breed on like a large scale. Right. You know, and like most of the people that they hire, I would imagine have some type of reptile in their personal life or why would they, it's not like, I don't know. I just don't see somebody like saying like, if they can choose between work and wherever that they're just going to sign up for working at, you know, I don't know. Uh, whoever whatever big breeder that you you, know, you want to say um yeah. so like that that must be i guess if you're you know because if you're at home and and you're taking shortcuts or so-so care with your animals or you know not yeah. quarantining or you know mites or whatever you know whatever the case would be and then you're coming and working on somebody else's collection mm-hmm. as your job yes like that wow that's i never thought about that i was actually yeah. just talking to dr loafman about this yesterday this kind of thing oh really uh, okay. you know he's been vocal on podcasts about his experience with crypto in the university collection um and you know without going into details about it that came from somewhere and that somewhere may have been a student <laughs> you know oh, and it's, wow. it's this kind of thing right when you have ins and outs mm-hmm. of your collection mm-hmm. uh and people that are drawn to something like working for a facility, working for a reptile shop, um, probably, like you say, have their own stuff at home because that's the mm-hmm. passion, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, sure. So like Riley's saying, just somehow compartmentalizing your two or however many uh, collections, rooms, buildings, uh, and not cross-contaminating to the extent it's possible is really all you can do. I mean, luckily, yeah. you know, things like mites and whatnot uh, you know they if you wash your hands and get your clothes off you know they're not hiding yeah. in your you know skin or something oh, like, you're, you're good but the things that scare me more are like the crypto spores and my uh-huh. uh, my microscopic stuff that some of that around. stuff you can't get rid of without like deep ammonia treatment or 160 degree power washing yeah, bleach, three times do crypto yeah bleach, crypto uh, crypto is damn near impossible to get rid of because it can hide and everything yeah and and i think i think overall cross-contamination procedures and protocol and quarantine and stuff is probably the most overlooked and underutilized bit of safety uh, just in general everywhere whether it's a a private collection, a shop, a breeding facility, whatever. I think it's one of those things that we all hear the word and we try to like pretend it's not going to happen to us sort of Absolutely. thing. Yeah. yeah. So. It was easy for me for the first while because almost all of my animals were from Nick, right? So it's like, yeah. hey, if any of them have something, which they haven't, thank God, then they probably yeah. all do because they're all from the same place. Yeah. But now, now I'm very careful <laughs> yeah. because – the stakes are higher and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. getting animals from other sources and yeah. you just gotta do the best. Soon as soon as you start opening more doors, you start putting yourself and your animals at greater risk, yeah. not to sound like morbid or terrifying, but that's it's the reality the of the matter. Yeah. That's the reality of working with animals. I, I think, yeah. I think in reptiles, we're much more fearful of it because everything's in contained ecosystems. And we don't want it to spread because we keep a lot of them. But if you look at, say, dog and cat owners, they get dogs, you know, they got mm-hmm. a couple of dogs, goes to the park, gets, you know, 
runs around a few other dogs, gets right. fleas. And they're just like, oh shit, I gotta get flea treatment to do whatever. Right. And that's and most that. dogs are vaccinated for the nasty stuff. And, that, and yeah, exactly. So it's, it's although very different, um, handled differently for similar situations. And I think, uh, I think it's a more scary prospect in, in reptiles because it seems so foreign, foreign and unusual and maybe just recently has been like a topic of discussion more so than in the past. So, yeah, yeah it's important to, to just recognize that you wanting to quarantine, mm-hmm. it's not a reflection on the person you're getting it from. I, I'll yeah. quarantine from somebody I trust the most. Like when I get my blackhead mail back from you guys, I'm going to quarantine them. It's not yeah. because I don't trust you. It's just the it's smart just thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it used to be such a taboo thing to do to admit or acknowledge one's, you know, failures or issues in the past or having had mites and dealt with it or whatever or like you know just to even say the word nido used to be like you know i'm trying to make a sale don't say that you know like (laughs) one of those things and i think the more we're open about that stuff the more we can help other people just be honest about like how to deal with it because if we all know how to deal with it and we're all pretty pretty upfront about it we can essentially theoretically uh eliminate its existence you know that's probably never possible just because there's human error and a lot of variables at play but like yeah you could really we could really do more good just by being upfront with how we dealt with it like sure and accidents happen that's the other thing like stuff that's out of people's control the i got mites one time from a, a friend who gave me a a big box of Sterilite tubs from his storage room that he was moving out of and he was too busy and he had a small bout of mites on a boa and I put the box in, uh, in a closet and a week later, the rack next to that closet had mites. And so you just deal with it. You just go through and you treat everything and you deal with it and you do your due diligence. You treat several times You make sure you're good before you let anything go. And it is what it is. Um, you know, the old adage is very true. You haven't been in the reptile hobby long enough if you've never had mites. It's just one of those things. It's all about how you, uh, Lucas, you scot free bastard. You too, Eric. Let's do an over-under oh. bet on how oh. many years I can oh, make it. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. He's saying that he never had mice? He's never had No, them. sir. No. I'm going to go there. on the computer. <laughs> yeah, no, man. You guys think I can I... make it five years? <laughs> I did. Yeah, Ten? man. It's... Ooh, I don't Ten's know. Ten's pushing it. Ten's pushing it. I guess it depends on how big you want your collection. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Who you're That's... getting it from. Well, and the other like... thing, too, for you, Lucas, you've, you've kind of you've got a good trajectory from your start into this hobby. You've got the right people around you. You haven't made many of the same pitfalls that a lot of novice people do when they first discover a reptile show and then Craigslist and then go freaking dive sure. off a cliff and, 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 and working make a at ton the vivarium too. Like I did have to learn about these things quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the, you know, just to jump in here real quick, the yeah. very first carpet fest, I got mites. Oh shit. Oh right, and I believe that was from, from letting people tour, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, the more and more, it makes me nervous about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 12. He's a baby. <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, am recently 24. <laughs> oh, 24. <laughs> what a good year in my life. Uh, <laughs> it can only be better than 23. Yes. Yeah, well, sitting at home I the whole time. You. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> 2020. Yes. 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 Um, but anyway, yeah. I mean, 
that yeah it makes rough. me nervous man <laughs> you know people going to uh you know that's why i it's it it <laughs> now i do <laughs> it's okay i feel old too how the hell do you think i feel <laughs> <laughs> All oh you young people God. not even touching 30 yet and it's just like oh i feel old <laughs> yes, okay i'm not in that group uh, talk to me when you're in your 40s <laughs> then let's see what happens yeah all right i, I gotta get there first yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> well i think I it's one of those things though where the fear keeps you safe maybe the day yeah. we stop being afraid of it is the day something slips in so it's a yeah. it's a healthy evil perhaps yeah yeah, anytime I go to reptile shows or shops that I uh, I've never been to or don't know anything about, when I come home, what I'll do is because I'll leave a can of preventamite by my shoes at the door because it's over <laughs> by quarantine. It's all over by quarantine. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll I'll fucking shower in that shit. Um, uh, dude, I had a coworker I, that would spray himself down with preventamite, and I was dude, like, when I'm, I used I'm scared to, uh, for you. <laughs> what, so for the the Pomona and Anaheim shows. Um, down in SoCal, they happen twice a year. We used to always, at least one of the shows a year, go to uh, prehistoric pets uh, afterwards on like Sunday and like, you know, go hang out there and see Jay and all the retics and stuff. And that place is disgusting and filthy. And like they breed fruit flies as much as they breed retics there and like in the retic cages, like, and it smells, the ammonia burns your eyes. But oh. dude, I, dude, I, Anytime I would go there, I would bring cans of preventamite. As soon as I walked out the door, I'd get in my car. I'd spray myself down and fucking hot box myself with preventamite <laughs> in my car. Because <laughs> oh it was oh. like, dude, oh no. you can you can see that shit crawling in there. You could you could just feel it on you, and then you walk out. And like I've I've known people that have worked there that have been like, yeah, this is a safe safe protocol. Uh, once you leave that place, I'm like, fuck that. So. I know everybody loves Jay and his crazy antics, but that place is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sorry, contrary to popular opinion or what you might see on the little screens that give you this much insight from your phone into Jay at Prehistoric's Pets, go visit that place. You'll see. There you oh, go. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just don't drink the preventamite. We should we should uh, yeah, hate that. Did you guys see that there was some girl, like, somebody told me about this. There was some girl who has some YouTube channel or something who was talking about how preventamite doesn't work or it's safe or I don't even know. And she's, like, spraying it <laughs> in her snake's face and, like, spraying it in no. her mouth. And, dude, there's yeah. some dumb, wacky people there. So toxic. Well, when people start getting, well, when those people start getting cancer, we'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> dude, look at that. Freaking Tony. Oh, man. Yeah, Tony, I remember that. I remember that. We had the first carpet fest at uh, at Prehistoric Pets because uh, they had that whole party room back there. And Todd came out and met us later on and brought some snakes and stuff. <laughs> Dude was walking around with uh, uh, a hot shot uh, shirt on. <laughs> like a, a pest strip shirt. It was yeah. Oh, those are pest strips. Okay. Yeah, that's going right over my head. Strip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, yeah. yeah. Freaking like a necklace out of it. <laughs> yeah. Cause they come in like those big dangly things, like a big plastic. You're supposed to, you know, hang them in an area right. if you want bugs out of there, sort of thing. 
and they got a little clip and just put it on a necklace, walked around. Um, but yeah, that anyway, um, that was a little inside joke. I'm so glad Tony was here to make me relive that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the downside to having too big of a collection. It's impossible to maintain quality control and quarantine is important. Hmm. That's I got a question. Yeah. I got a question for Tony. I'm sorry. I was Justin Julander messaged me while I was sorry. Oh, nice. Anyway. Um, uh, did the snake that his daughter had in the picture the other day, was that a green exantic line IJ? Yeah, Tony, let's hear it. Tony. I saw it right away oh. and I was like, <laughs> I, those are the only exantics he's working with. As far as I know, I don't think he has any of the coastal exantic stuff. I think he just has the green line stuff. Um, well, you know that 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 stuff is sort of like the yeah, some it's say it's crossed. Some right, you know. yeah, it's one of those questionable things, similar to like citrus tiger, where people say it's crossed, but yeah, the, the information's sort of been lost. Dude, how cool were those citrus tigers that Chris Foley posted up, man? Oh, oh dude, dude, he posted uh, those, and he was like, "These are the only ones I have, and they're not for me, but I'll keep these around." I was like, "You son of a bitch, don't." <laughs> Nice. I knew it. As soon as I saw that snake, I was like, I was like, I didn't have time to ask him in the thing. And I was kind of, I didn't know if he wanted to put it out there or not, but yeah. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Tony. I was like, Oh, that looks like one of those green IJs. I wonder if it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, I've seen that girl in person. It's been a few years since I stayed at Tony's house, but uh, right after a shed, she really does have like a green wash to her. It's, that's it's cool. It's bizarre. Have you guys yeah, noticed that green tint in certain mostly Lazic brittles? Yep. Like on the yeah. cream, like the lighter yep. banding, kind of a greenish tint. Yep. Yeah. I never, I always, I see that in some of my animals and I'm like, is that just my eyes being terrible or, <laughs> or is that a thing? Cause it's very cool. Whatever that is. Yeah. You know, what else has that is the gelatins. They oh, yeah, green mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I've hey. seen it because my my uh, two pairs of or my pair of normal bread line are, are lasik line and yeah. yeah, when they're like at their their pristine fired up color in the summer, yeah, like you said, right by those ventral flanks where the the white creamy bands start to come up, yeah, so mm-hmm. it does have a have a green look to it for sure. So interesting. So interesting. Oh, they're so cool, man. I yeah. I forgot I have a freaking stone wash in my collection. That's nuts, man. That is my favorite of the just, of the Brettles morphs. Hyper I don't know. Beautiful, but the stone wash the stone wash gives you that really cool lighter pigment, but still has the contrast. Well, mine's a little guy too, or a little girl. So like the, the areas where the stone wash mm-hmm. appearance is, hasn't spread out yet. So I get to watch yeah. it grow in. Yeah. So to me, she's like this really, really cherry looking bread lie that has like these little specks that I want to see. And I know what they're going to do, but right. I guess it's because I coveted uh, the bread lie more morphs and, and variations so much. And because I know how big they can get and just, that they've always remained novel to me. And, and I was always kind of just one day kind of put all that bread lie stuff up on a pedestal. And here I am. I'm like, dude, it's just, that's just fascinating. I, oh, that's, that's a really cool snake. You know, everybody always talks about the pattern, but look at the yellow on the sides. Uh-huh. Of the yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yellow on the, the belly. The entire snake has a different thing going on. It's not just that neck portion. Yeah. Also yeah. Like, 
splotching on the belly of white and yellow. Yeah, um, that's the other thing. They have they have a lot of uh, color on the ventral scales that other bread lie don't. You'll see a lot of pink bleeding in and other blotching, like you're saying. Uh, and that's yeah. the indicator that you might have heard Nick talk about with het stonewash stuff when it's paired with hypo. Mm -hmm. In the presence of hypo, a het stonewash will have the blotching on the belly mm -hmm. uh, give itself away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have heard him talk about that. Yeah, he came to, to when he was at my house. He was um, the first hypo I got from him because I guess they, he by accident, I don't know. I, actually, I think Casey was the first one to do this, hatched out hypo stonewashed. And they were right. from, remember that? And yes. it was like, uh, they didn't know the stonewash was in that, that hypo line. Right. Yeah. And they're just like, what happened? And, you know, it was like, uh, oh, wait a minute. And everybody is like going crazy trying to figure out what happened. Yeah. And um, out like that is the only reason there can be full hypo stonewash, but there mm -hmm. can't be full hypo stripe. Right. 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 Yeah. Stripe comes from different chunk of blood. Right. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, uh, he he was he was just like, I can't believe this. What the hell is going on? There you go, man. Yeah. And uh yeah, it turns out. So when he was at my house for Carpet Fest, he was talking to me and I, he wanted, he's like, let me see your hypo. And he looks at it and he's like, okay, yep, you got it. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh shit. Right. Yeah, yeah woo. It's cool yeah. too. If you use a black light in the dark, it really, yeah. even before you can kind of see it with the mm -hmm. naked eye, because it's definitely um, harder to see when she was younger. But with the right. black light, it, it was obvious. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Damn it. Now I need hypos and stripes. <laughs> yes, sir. I might yeah. be able to help you. We'll see. Yeah. Me too. Dude. Yeah. Excellent. I'll send you my address. You know where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got dude, uh, uh I gotta take some pictures of these, but um so well let me go back to the, the citrus tiger thing. It was like mm -hmm. uh when I saw Chris posted up the those pictures, it always fascinates me so that I think like, you know, Will Bird and his idea of genetics and all that kind of stuff may be a bit off. And, you know, he, he thinks everything's a gene and all that kind of stuff. And I know he gets a lot of people that that don't necessarily uh, agree with what he's saying. And I, I think he's not necessarily wrong, but it's mm -hmm. just in how he's saying it. Right. I guess mm -hmm. maybe. Anyway, um, the citrus part of it i think is what he's referring to of the look of what i have in my adult female my main girl you have it in your albino head albino girl owen has it in his head albino girl and i was showing you guys the i think i sent you guys the pictures of this pair that i held back from the the last clutch that i did of citrus tigers the one looks just like the mom mm -hmm. the other one looks like a striped jungle right mm -hmm. so they're like it's like I think what he was saying is what that citrus is, is that the one that looks like my adult main female, right? They have like this orange yellow tone to it and they're very bright and vibrant. When I look at Chris's animals, it more, it's, it's going more towards like what uh, a tiger carpet really would look like, right? It's going more towards those khaki colors and whatnot. And it was just like kind of fascinated me that, like, okay, I get what Will was talking about as far right. as the citrus because he's hatching out these different animals and they all kind of have this. But this one over here has this certain look. And I can tell you when they hatch out of an egg, I can look right away and say, that's the look. Because then they get mm. that 
that that orange yellow and the dorsal stripe they get the gray they they get this solid black outline that goes along the side um then they got these portals and they're usually like uh, a different tone of yellow if you will and they're surrounded by this gray black fishnetty pattern that dude oh dude i i just love those snakes man that's yeah, awesome I'm, I'm looking right at my female as you're yeah right like, yep uh-huh. yeah yeah you know, it's so cool um, dude i that she might be my most anticipated clutch of the season as far as the carpets go like I, i've always said i produce whatever i love so like everything that i produce is anticipated but like <laughs> that yeah, one man. i'm i mean it'll be interesting because it'll be a dilution of that citrus tiger blood right with the darwin blood right right there's a lot more in there but it'll it'll be cool regardless i'm very excited so she's yeah. looking the goods man they've locked a ton she's hugging the glass where it's cold she she's yeah i think we're good nice Excellent. you're probably gonna hit that before i hit that because i'm not seeing a whole lot of uh i don't know a whole lot well, of uh action from my uh my pair but we'll see we'll see you know you know you know i'm just excited when, to see it yeah you know? i'm i'm excited too man like if if i'm so fortunate enough to get eggs and those eggs survive and babies hatch and all those other variables that we still got to get through i want to see albino citrus tigers i want to see caramel albino citrus tigers yeah. i want to see i just want to see whatever comes out yeah and i'll send you whatever <laughs> i've Eric, seen are you doing uh oh go ahead oh no no oh citrus tiger to albino oh, i was gonna ask if you're doing the tollies <laughs> oh. yeah. no so the tollies i have a male coming from uh so i have this sort of worked out with uh christian par right mm-hmm. um he sort of has uh he was getting a male from nick and he came to my place. He picked up a pair of gel- or no, did he get a pair? I don't know. He got he got a female or man. I don't know. He got a gelatin, right? And you know, I was showing him my the tully that I got from Rob, mm-hmm. and um, he was like, "Dude, uh, you know, I'm getting a male," and I was like, "Oh, wow, okay, maybe we'll have to work something out." And he's like, <laughs> "I'm just gonna send the male to your spot, and you breed them, and then we can, you know, figure it out from there." And I was like, uh, "He's like, I'd rather see the line." you know, keep going rather than, you know, necessarily breed it to some other random Mm -hmm. jungle or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt the same way. It's like, wow, you have this locality of jungle. That's really not out there too much. And I know Nick has had some, uh, some struggles with that line and trying to, you know, uh, get it established again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it seems like every year he just gets kicked into nards with (laughs) like it's either bad eggs or, they don't want to eat or, sure. you know, it's just yeah. something happens, you know, They're so um, pretty though. Oh, dude. The moon cycle in the line. <laughs> yeah. It's the moon cycle. That's yeah, it's cool. the moon that year is all bad. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Astrophysics. Let's yeah. go. Tully's are badass. That's like the one naturally bright and striped line that as much as its value is in keeping it around and pure, I would love to throw some of that in my striped jungles. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, man. Yeah. That, yeah. That well, one, you sent me a, you sent a photo of that one that, that you're getting. That, well, I have that girl. I have that girl's here. That's that girl's nuts. Yeah. She's the uh, new cover of carpet and cliff notes, if you will. Uh, she's so uh, cool. 
but beautiful animal, man. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll get them. We'll get Someday. them to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you get this jungle down. care package and <laughs> oh, Lucas will be throwing out his blackheads and his centralia. Not the blackheads. Speaking yeah. of blackheads, yeah. Riley, are you uh, are you getting this rain that I'm getting where you are? Mm-hmm. Are they together? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> He's so interested in the females he's like spurring and wrapping their faces at times <laughs> well he's gone his whole life without this opportunity <laughs> he, do- he doesn't care which end it is he's putting it in yeah okay all right well That's hopefully he does find the proper end but so yeah. we saw the the confirmed lock with that first one have we seen yeah. anything with that second one plenty in cuddling plenty of coring okay. i mean you know on my weekends they're together and i don't see everything of course but yeah. He, yeah. he's He's interested in both of them, and they're both looking receptive. That actually, actually, that other big female with the cleaner mm-hmm. pattern. Yeah, the pretty she, one. To me, she's looking like she's doing like this, just ballooning and tightening, and she's always in this big, tight, perfect circle. I'm just, she's the one that has not. Yes. Before, right? Yeah. yeah, she's the one who's unproven. The other girl, who's the leaner one, is proven. Right. He's yeah. just as interested in both of them, though. So I think about it every. Hour. I check. I check on them first thing. <laughs> I check on them every day when I come into work first thing in the morning. Going through, hitting the lights, making sure you know pools and pumps are running, hitting you know turtle lights and all that. And then I go and open her door. I'm like, all right, send Lucas <laughs> update photo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. So, yeah. So no, they're cool. doing really well. He's doing awesome. He's he's a stud. I can't wait to get some blackheads again, man. I'm. I do. I. They're, they're How cool. did you let them go? Well, the one I had, it, it died. It, it oh. didn't make it, you know. <laughs> so, That's I'm sorry. <laughs> I see. <It's>, yes. <laughs> He's like, yes. oh, I put my foot in my mouth. No, no, no worries. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. We have video um, now. I can do that for a fee. <laughs> yeah, right. Just kidding. That's Not that kind of program. Only fans page. Only fans page, man. Oh, shit. Wrong stream. Wrong stream. Yeah, wrong Sorry. stream. Mm. Uh, but it must be, uh, you know, I can't wait to hatch out something different than a carpet, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't know. I see those little black heads popping out of an egg or those little orange heads from Walmas or mm-hmm. some kind of anteresia <laughs> or something. And I'm just like, uh, I can't wait to see it. And then, you know, now that I've gone down this rabbit hole of, um, you know, Australian lizards, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, you start to look at stuff, and I'm looking at um, somebody hatched out a um, a Boyd's forest dragon, and man, if that thing didn't look like a dinosaur, uh, yeah, like, you know, yeah. I'm just like, wow, that thing well, looks like a dinosaur. <laughs> that was on Beach of Scaly Beast, right? Is that where I saw it? Yeah, I yeah. watched. I watched something too. It's the same thing. He showed off his adults. He showed his juveniles, and he showed. A video clip of the egg hatching and it i had the same thought look like a freaking dinosaur they're yeah, colorful man. too they're so cool yeah. they hang up on vertical trees they hug right on and they they like pivot around the tree to to hide from your line of sight yeah, yeah they'll so, like they're gnarly. just oh, they're so freaking cool so man. crazy thing we we were we were walking through this um national park i can't remember the exact name and rob's gonna punch me in the stomach when i forget <laughs> the name of the, the place we were at that's um, not very but, nice um <laughs> yeah well you know rob he, he gets violent sometimes <laughs> he's a lawyer he can hang that, 
this is this is how we uh this is how we figure he keeps me in line you know what i mean i told you it wasn't that boom you know? <laughs> <laughs> how many times are you gonna get this wrong uh, okay. hold on he actually because i'm about to put it up on um npr uh murray python radio.com it's like the itinerary so i'm going to tell you exactly oh wait no that's texas oh here we go cans uh, we went to Lake Berene. That's it. Lake Berene. Okay. So I have been uh, I'm back on the charts. Anyway, we went to Lake Berene. We're walking around. We were actually looking for scrubs and carpets, and we actually found a Boyd's Forest Dragon. But oddly enough, it was not in the tree. It was in like this little, like, um, I guess like a little rock cave thing on the side of the you know think of it like you're walking through like a park and there's like a trail and then there's like you know nate you know trees and all kind of you know hills and rocks and stuff you could climb as you're walking through that um but uh yeah that's where we found that which was weird and you know i don't know it was, it was really cool to see one and i don't that's know what awesome. it was doing but yeah. it was not in the tree you know so i guess sweet. it goes back to that didn't whole get like the memo <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, right. It's like uh, ball pythons can't be in trees. Boyd Boyd's forest dragons can't be on the ground. Right, right. You know, all of the pythons have to be in a dirt mound. And, <laughs> yeah, what's it? What's in a name, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, we love we love to be able to make those kinds of rules so that it's yeah. simple for our little monkey brains. Yeah, right. exactly. I it's saw a, a really funny a video contract. that was a good. I guess symbolic thing for that, where it was like one of those toddler toys with the different mm -hmm. shapes mm -hmm. and, but all of them fit in the square hole. So he'd hold up the circle <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, that goes in the square hole. And then like the rectangle, he just put it sideways. Oh, that also goes in the square <laughs> hole. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was hilarious, but also profound because that's so true. It's like, yeah. not everything is that neat and tidy for us. We just like it that way. Cause it's easier to understand. Yeah, it's yeah. all just how we organize it in our heads, compartmentalize <laughs> it all. Yeah. It all can fit in the square hole. <laughs> yeah, we exactly. also found we found some type of monitor on that trip, in that spot as well on that day. I can't remember what species it was. Uh, like a little dwarf species of some sort. No, it was a it was a smaller species, but it wasn't a dwarf. It was just a small version. I want to say. What would what would be up in cans? Like what monitors would be up in cans? I'm um, on it. Do they have sand monitors up there? The Flavorufus no. or the Goldie Eye? I don't think I don't so, right? Think so. No, I don't think so. Cans? Uh, I can't hmm. remember. It uh, wasn't a it wasn't like a uh um a, a Bell's monitor, Bell's phase. Not, not a lace. Tail? No, not a lace. Pilbara no, nah, not Pilbara's uh um, kinda had like uh Almost like a water monitor type of dotted pattern on its back. Oh, but like a peacock monitor? Spotted tree monitor? What kind? Spotted, Spotted tree monitor, perhaps? Perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Ridge-tailed monitor? I only know the, what's the scientific name. Varenis scalaris? That's it. Ah, thank yes. you, Google. <laughs> yeah, yes. Varenis scalaris, huh? When I talk to Rob, he talks to me in scientific names and not. It's in... easier that way. <laughs> he doesn't talk to me. It's true. There's talk less confusion. <laughs> yeah. Common names are a dime a dozen, especially like in frogs and tarantulas. There's a million common names for it. 
That's going to be a push that I try to do on NPR going forward in 2021. More Latin. More, more Latin names. Less, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Reptile Gumbo is going to. Yeah, that kind of. Like yeah. Purdy. Those guys are, uh, they're going to be yelling and screaming as we talk in scientific names. Oh, yeah. Good. James, James is a freaking James teacher. Like it. James is a teacher and he hates being smart. It makes no sense. <laughs> Guys, such a negative anti-learning person, yet he's a freaking teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, Good. I love I love when he bats down the even the attempt at uh at getting the Latin names, whereas I'm on the other hand, I'm like, I don't even remember common names for these things. I have to actually pay more attention to the common names. So a lot of people that come into the, the reptile shop and they're like, What's uh that? And I I spat out the, the Latin name and they're like <laughs> And I'm like, oh shit! It's uh, what what the hell are those called? Uh, it's a freaking uh, it's a Euromastic. Sorry, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know the right. names of these things. I know the Latin. Yeah. So yeah, I I have to bring it back to to common speech sometimes, but I don't like it. Yeah. Did you guys see that that meme that somebody made a few weeks back, making fun of the whole bread lie breadly thing, where it was like, okay, Ooh. if it's breadly, then what about King Horn Eye? King Horn, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was funny. That made me King laugh. Horny. Yeah. Well, you know, one. we have so many. Well, I'm sure the Latin rules are consistent, but we as people botch them. But like when things end in two eyes, I've always pronounced it as ei at the end. When it's just a single eye, it's just e. But bread lie, we call it bread lie instead of breadly because it sounds unusual. But then, what was like Stokes? Gurnia Stokesii or something like that. There's like a lot of right. these double eyes, but we don't always consistently <laughs> do that. I don't know. I just feel like Latin has rules that are very straightforward. And if we just paid attention to them, this would be a challenge. Yeah. I, I, I was saying to, uh, I was talking to Rob and I was like, uh, I think uh, I'm going to have to like go on to um, uh, like some kind of like class. Or Latin. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to have to do it. Uh, I'll be driving and my wife's going to be listening to, yeah, Rosetta Stone for Latin. And uh, yeah. she's going to be like, what the hell are you listening to? Yeah. Quiet. Awesome. And then everything's got to go into the metric system and Latin. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's it. 100 That's centimeters. another one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when they start saying about kilometers and Celsius and Mm -hmm. just like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah. 20 centimeters by 60 centimeters by 100 centimeters. You're like, uh, what? Tell me. Gonna, Foot. Oh, it's a box. <laughs> I'm gonna have to start thinking in Celsius and figure that out because I think a lot of the papers for grad school it's always Celsius. Even Loafman's paper was Celsius, and I had to Google it. It's easy. Just remember, thirty is like ninety, and you're good. Okay. <laughs> I think twenty-seven is eighty, and there's your breakdown. Right. Well, if you yeah. say, "I'll." So how do how do Australians say albino? Albino. Albino. albino that's it. Okay. One eye. So if they say albino, you call it a toffino. Oh. But we do call it a toffino. Don't mm. we call? It, isn't that G yeah, called that's a, true. a, a, yeah. a toffino? Yeah, that's true. Maybe and, the Australians were right. <laughs> and can, and candino. We don't call them right. candi- We don't call them candinos. Ah. Right. But we call oh. dinosaurs dinosaurs and not dinosaurs. <laughs> Dino. <laughs> Dino chicken nuggets. I'm going to have some <laughs> Dino nuggets. 
Yes, Dino Nuggets. <laughs> my hunger <laughs> is, is showing. Hello, mate. I'd like some Dino Nuggets with my flat white. <laughs> you know? Oh, no. <laughs> flat white i guess yeah i need to experience that one day. well we are carpets and carfee so you know we have yeah. to uh, appreciate flat. the the uh the australian side of uh coffee if you will flat flat whites and west pop winds no that's not mm. flat whites and Papuan. oh god every time somebody says Papuan, i hear nipper I'm like oh shit I'm really mad. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, really easy to make him happy, but it's really easy to make him mad. As well. yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. like such a whoo. It's like yeah. such a trigger, man. You're like, yeah. it's like a balance in a tightrope. Yeah. You can't Keeps say it niche. interesting. You gotta say niche. Otherwise, you're endangering the population of hookers out there. Yeah. I heard, I heard Garrett. I don't know. Maybe oh, it was, yeah. it was talking no. to you guys. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yep. okay. He and I, I looked into it and he said niche, and I was like, damn you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't unhear it. I, as soon as he said it, I was like, oh. Do I correct there goes him? another. <laughs> like, do I correct him or is like Nipper gonna let this one slide? No, I just let it go. I was like, maybe maybe we won't use that word the rest of the show at all. <laughs> yeah. And you know oh, me, man. I'm like very bad at pronouncing things correctly. I got word so or... many things against me. I got the Philly <laughs> thing. I got, you know, I'm an American. I'm a Philly guy. Oh, my goodness. Water. Do you like yeah. the Phillies? Do you watch Water. baseball? Hell no. <laughs> I'm not a sports guy at all, man. All right. I don't enough. bleed green or red or none of that stuff. I'm not throwing yeah. snowballs at Santa Claus or you don't whatever. fly, eagles fly. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, there, there we go. Hi, Justin. Hey, yeah, Justin's right. here. Just yawn it. <laughs> so John. this is the thing that it's I was John. gonna say during the holiday show is you can say wawa, and that's exactly <laughs> how water starts. That's <laughs> So it's just can't Wawa it, and then turd. Water. Wawa turd. Yeah. Water. When I tried oh, to say turd. it, I tried to really make a put because my wife, she actually says water, right? She says it the way <laughs> it's supposed to be. But when I say it, it just sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Can man. you try? Can we hear it? Water. Water? <laughs> yeah, it kind of <laughs> it sounds so forced. Doesn't it? Yeah. It yeah, sounds like it's you're just... trying to speak another Water. language. Yes, that's like <laughs> and so I, I was at when we I forget where we were, but I was out with my wife and we're we're sitting there and I was like, okay, I'm gonna make an effort to say say it correctly. And when I say it, they look at me like they don't they look at me if I say water. And they look at me if I say water and they're like, they just look at me like, what's wrong with you? Like, you adult? Are you an adult? Are you an adult person? It's like, is this guy tripping on shrooms right now? He like really lost it in that word. Water. Yeah. <laughs> it's the essential need of life and you can't even pronounce it correctly. H2O, please. Justin Maybe G. that's Lander. what I'm talking about. Justin Julander shows up as we're correcting Eric's uh, vocabulary. You missed all the good reptile talk prior. Yeah, we did talk about things that were good, including astrophysics. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shoot, we could have used your help there, Doc. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Every doctor knows the distance to the moon. It's prerequisite. Well, uh, you're a doctor, right? 
You can sew up my leg and tell me smart things. Smart things. Yep. That's correct. Yeah. You, smart, you smart, are smart. correct. Yes, uh, sir. <laughs> oh dear, oh Beautiful. dear. So we're we're at we're at two hours now. Wow. Yeah, it seems quick. to be our thing. It seems to be our thing. Yes. I mean, other than when we had Garrett on who had a timeline. Hmm. Oh, but, did he? Uh, he had a timeline. Yeah, because it's the afternoon for y'all and and um and oh he had stuff to do. He's yeah. a busy he's guy. A guy well, man. He's got like seven kids or something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, he so. he he good. They can raise each other. Uh, he's free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> his, his whole I know he does marketing and stuff as mm-hmm. like did it for a living and all, but like you know, dude, smart. Well, so yeah, part of part of my idea of of having him on to come talk was not only because he markets things so well, but like what we were talking about earlier, when you're contagious about what you're really into and passionate about, and 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 people catch on and they, and you create a market. I wanted to, it, him to come on and just really translate that and do a little bit of compare and contrast to retics and carpets, not to say like, all oh, you retic people are wrong. You've just really wanted carpets all this time, which like I'm sort of trying to float that message under everywhere you, that carpets are just the snakes. Everybody doesn't know they need and want, but <laughs> correct. Um, I've actually done NorCal Herb Society presentations entitled Carpet Pythons, the Snakes You Didn't Know You Wanted. Um, and uh, Doing the Lord's work. Exactly. <laughs> just doing, doing the good Lord's work. And But like his, his approach to it all is so contagious. But it's not just he's so excited you can't ignore it. It's very calculated and mm-hmm. it's professional and it's thinking five steps ahead and it's and it's maintaining the ethics in there and it's being completely open and transparent about where the hobby is falling short and how he's contributing to that by encouraging arboreal rack construction or changing the way we look at a simple tub setup or yeah. marketing in general, how you communicate the rarity, your enthusiasm and why people should have that enthusiasm. And mm-hmm. part of me is, you know, not to just focus on the money, but like, you know, what's really fascinating is how he's not only managed to breed five rare, like super dwarf and, and whatever localities and subspecies or however they break it all down and preserve those bloodlines and the existence of those animals, but then also doing it in such a way that translates his valuation into other people's valuation so that they feel the same way that he does in order to pay the money that he feels is justified for these animals. Like I'm not saying he's pulling the blinder over people's eyes and charging five grand for a rare snake. He's, he's communicating why that animal is five grand in an effective way. You can't go anywhere else and get it. It's taken X amount of years or decades. It's taken all of the these steps. And he's put the legwork into not only doing that, but showing you that and telling you that in an entertaining way via YouTube, his his packaging, everything screams how important this is to him. And really yeah. the brilliance was seeing something that everyone was devaluing mm-hmm. and recognizing that actually they should be incredibly valued. And then being an effective enough presenter and communicator to lay that out there and actually have so many people go, oh, he's right. 
we do need that and it is valuable you know and, it's like and then and then he did it all with ethics in there not just like right. a little footnote like it's better right. for the animal like no it really came from doing what's right for the species oh yeah his he point about like mainland. the the ratio like mm -hmm. if you kept a ratio constant of what we deem acceptable for a corn snake versus like a retic you'd have to and the amount of your space whole living you, room yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's spot that, on it's yeah. it's things that people either don't think about or they do and they don't want to acknowledge to admit that they could be doing better. And he's just not even thinking about whether he should or shouldn't. It's, it's not a question. It's just moving the sticks. It's progressing the, you know, his, his niche in the hobby. And it's all mm. starting from the foundation of what's ethical because all those mainland retics that he bred thousands and thousands of that probably weren't cared for properly or let go or starved mm. or died or whatever it's not something that he liked to hear about. So he shifted to try and make them smaller. And in turn, he's found a whole nother direction and a whole nother purpose mm. in preserving these rare, rare, almost extinct, essentially animals, and then doing it in such a way that keeps them around for the hobby, but also allows other people to kind of get into them here and there. Like it's not irresponsible. It's done well. And, and having that price point, not only, you know, shows how much he values them, but it also weeds out people that are not going to do what's best for the animals. Let's mm -hmm. face it. Cause if somebody has got the money to shell out 5k for a retic, they've got the money to do whatever that animal needs, whether it be pay for vet trips, shell out on a proper enclosure, give it the attention, food, whatever. And it's not a greed thing. It's a, it's a truly valuation thing. And it's, it's all starts from him and his passion and his his drive and motivation because it's contagious and and he's just stayed on that track and yeah. stuck to his guns and look yeah. what he's built yeah so, absolutely yeah i think about that he all could the write time. a book he could it's it's and, actually just it's fascinating yeah and i think that that sort of approach is the one thing that keeps me on track for making youtube videos every week for trying to do this type of content all the time because every group of snakes deserves to have their hero about it or every reptile mm. or every animal deserves to have their Garrett Hartle about it because what it does is it allows for people that might have either been embarrassed to admit what they like or didn't know what they like to stumble upon it and, and like really be inspired and, and take that. And, you know, Lucas, you drew inspiration for, stuff that you're already interested in and people like that will only help push the hobby. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think having, you know, a, a species champion, so to speak for every one of those animals is awesome. And that's, that's why I wanted to do YouTube in the first place. Cause there was no YouTube stuff on carpet pythons and just, just, you know, jump on with the NPR stuff because it's, it's the hub for everything Morelia and why not grow it and be a part of it. And I don't know, that's just, I just see so many similarities between what he's doing with retakes and super dwarfs between what, what you guys have been doing with NPR and it's hard not to want to, you know, blend in with it and keep it going. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think, yeah. uh, yeah, I think you're spot on with them as far as like, uh, there's so many, there's so many parallels between just, you know, Australian herps or, or carpets or, you know, and, and what his market is with the super dwarfs because you can't import what we have is what we have some of the things have been crossed some people cross things there's localities you know it's just there's so many 
parallels in the ethic. I think we did a show with him about bloodlines and lines, and it was sort yeah. of the same type of thing. And um, I watched his video not too long ago where he was talking about some line of or bloodline of super dwarf that was sort of disappeared. I don't know if it was Jampeas or whatever it was. It was sort of that same thing where you, you see certain people trying to resurrect. I think what Nick did with um, the Brisbane carpets, you know, um, resurrecting that line that was almost lost. And it's like, you know, you're looking at it as another bloodline. And even though see Garrett has a lot of the same similarities as me, it's like, yeah, you know, I hear certain people say about how, like, you know, why are you chasing a bloodline or this or that? And it's like, I'm chasing that bloodline because I want to be able to have the most diverse stock that I can. And if you're dealing with some of these things, it's like, okay, you know, look at Inlands. There's there's two bloodlines, and then Justin has that unrelated um, one that's that you know came from France or from Europe or wherever. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's important to keep that there because otherwise you're just going to be inbreeding and inbreeding and inbreeding, and maybe you can get away with that for I don't know, you know, say ten generations or so. But eventually, there's there's going to be something that's uh, that's lost. And who knows, maybe by that time Australia opens up and they're exporting stuff or whatever, but sure. But we don't know that, but we you don't know that we can't bank on that. And, and right. if, if we really love carpet pythons as much as we profess to love them, then our goal should be to keep the, the bloodlines as diverse, keep the community growing, keep it big. Yeah. And what should really then be important is what we leave to the next generation, the people who come behind us, the people who, 100%. you know, find this time capsule that will be however big NPR is down that line whenever somebody finds it. And if they don't have access to that stuff, what a letdown, right? Mm -hmm. If they find this time capsule and everybody squandered it and there are no pure X, Y, or Z, you know, like we owe it to the people to come after us and keep carpet pythons around to maintain all that stuff. And that's not to say that people who want to do crosses are bad and irresponsible, but somebody's got to maintain the pure stuff because like, you just, you never know. Yeah. You can't put I, that back in the box yeah. once it's yeah. gone. Yeah. I think I, you know, I don't know I, where I'm going to where I'm going to go with it. But my thought is, is that like, I'm going to try to move what I would necessarily do on YouTube, maybe to this channel the NPR network. So, mm -hmm. you know, I can just make it a video. EB Morelia shows whatever, whatever, or it can just be NPR. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't make a difference, but I think with like what inspires me with Garrett and, you know, I've said a million times and then Riley, you, you were the one that's stepped up to the plate. It's like, there's not a whole lot of carpet Python, good carpet Python content on YouTube. Right. Um, like you'll see it and some people dabble in carpets and then some people, you know, like they'll do different things or it's specifically at a specific part of carpet pythons, if you will. But like I want to showcase the localities and the morphs and the, you know, what does this look like? and What does that look like? And, and show people and setups yeah. and all those things. And it's crazy because I have the animals to do it. I just, it's the finding the time to do yeah. it is the hard part. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, if you, if you turn on the camera, I'll edit it for you and help with well, that yeah. time piece. That's what I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. like, maybe, maybe, 
go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about trying to find ways to, to keep this content going. The NPR network is exactly our, our vehicle for that, and, and it's already taken off. It's crazy to see just kind of in the last two months what's happened, just looking at analytics and numbers and then the, the amount yeah. of shows and ideas and all these things. So, you know, uh, I mean, we've hinted at plenty of stuff Um you know, leading up to this point, but I think last week, you know, we reminded people, don't forget to go check out the Teespring store. It's under NPR store. Actually a friend of mine uh, locally who listened to our last week's show came. She's like, I went on Teespring and I couldn't find it. I was looking up NPR network. And so I went, I had my computer right there and it's under NPR store. Mm, So if you go to Teespring and look at NPR store, you'll find everything. And you know, if you want to get some cool swag, hoodies, coffee mugs, we got new carpets and coffee mugs up there, stuff like that. All that money could help pay for us to continue putting out this content for you. You guys just get to, you know, spoil yourself with cool gear and stuff, but it, you know, it helps keep us doing that. And, you know, ideally that plus an eventual launch of a Patreon will allow us to really, you know, move, move the pendulum forward with Morelia Python radio's growth under the direction of, of the OGs, Eric and Owen. And, uh, just really, yeah, I would love like for us, you know, we've talked about it, like, but the goal is to ultimately take that content to Australia, you know, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. go and herp there and, and, and video, uh, you know, what they have to offer and, and who, you know, go see people's collections and stuff. And, you know, uh, what, you know, just thinking about this real quick and I know we're kind of like jumping over in time and stuff, but, you know, I think about the, when we started NPR, the book had just came out, we opened the book and you look in the inland section and there's the silver pepper. Right. And here we are 10 years later and you're starting to see that you know different people hatching out silver peppers and you know i know darren's doing like albino silver peppers and this and that and all these different things and you know i'm i'm lucky that i get to see some of that stuff before it you know before it's shared and it's like man where do you see some of the stuff that's about to you know happen in, in australia and they do carpet Python TV does a thing where it's like, what's the odds or whatever. And you're watching them hatch out some crazy, crazy stuff, man. You know, just, it's just wild. And the, the Darwin cool. stuff that's catching on and yeah. like, you know, Alex and uh, you know, what he's doing with the crazy, you know, Darwin red Darwin's and stuff. it's just, it's nuts, man. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, further bring that world to yeah. the forefront of people, you know, I think, uh, I think the internet and technology is, is, is ready for it. We just now need to clean up this mess. That is the global pandemic of COVID and, and really <laughs> kind of get through that, that sad puppy yeah, moment and, yeah. and, and figure it out here. But in the meantime, we'll keep building this. We'll keep, you know, doing our live streams and having the, the five, different uh podcasts that are soon to become seven um different podcasts and just keep growing it because clearly there is no ceiling to this and the world wants more of it and uh yeah we're just gonna ride this train out as much as possible because i don't think any of us would be disappointed if one day when we've accomplished whatever work professional life goals we have we can you know 
do carpet pythons full time, whether that means traveling or being retired and doing it or, you know, being content creators for it or reading full time, whatever. I think all of us would love to surround ourselves full time with with all of that. So, yeah, man, I'm ready to retire. <laughs> Me too. The youngest I'm one done. here. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're the you're the knucklehead who signed up for a master's program, so that's your fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be cool though. It's gonna be yeah. Cool. No, you, at least you it's got like a good program involved. Yeah, at least it's interesting stuff. I'm not going to get like a master's in economics or something. <laughs> you sure. Sorry, economics people. <laughs> They're not. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I'm excited to be having this conversation right now because I feel very confident yeah. that in five years or whatever, I'll be able to look on this conversation and, and draw back <laughs> on it right? and be like, holy shit, if only you knew, if only yeah. you knew, because it's literally it's one of those moments where like, well, our current world is kind of screwed. Who knows what mm-hmm. the hell is going to happen? So it forces you to just enjoy it and be excited about it all. And it's like you, you never know what's going to come next. So I really can't wait for whatever the hell the future holds, whether that means finally getting to Australia or, you know, the growth of all of this and the growth of the network. And it's just, yeah. dude, I can't wait to the day when we're, you know, it's, it's like that. It's like that feeling that when you see somebody else that's excited about, you know, the same thing that you're excited about, and then you have the opportunity to, I, dude, I just can't wait to see Australia, man. I, ah. Uh, I'm gonna lose it. That's all I can say, man. I just, it's, ah, uh, dude, you're gonna, you're gonna Tony, go nuts, Tony, man. It's Tony. like, ah, you, oh, you bastard, Tony. Yeah. Um. Basically, so what's gonna happen? I see I it now. Silver soon, fox, man. Soon I'll be the bald Never fox. Surrender. I'll be the hairless fox. Um. Well, I can see it now. We'll, whenever it is, we get to Australia. We'll rent our car, and before we destroy it, we'll go out somewhere. And I can see us parking right in red sand with Australian landscape everywhere. And I'm just going to take all my clothes off and run out into the desert and never be seen again. <laughs> what happened to Riley? <laughs> oh, crap. A oh, mulga man. snake. Oops. <laughs> Anybody else find it weird? He didn't buy a return ticket. He only bought it one way. Yeah, exactly. He, he said round trip. I could have swore. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> one day, man, one day it, it needs to happen. And I, you know, and that'll be another moment, like looking back Dude. on all of this at that point, you know, just sitting on a rock overlooking some gorge, just soaking it's, it all in. There's nothing better, man. It's, yeah. it's just so cool. Oh man. I, can almost, I feel like I talk about it too much, but like, <laughs> I, I just wish that, oh, man, I, nah, no, there's no such thing as too much because I think, people need the outdoors i think people need that connection with nature more than ever now so mm-hmm. keep it on people's forefront man for sure yeah you just yeah. get a whole different understanding of things but yeah. yeah you're right man so i can't wait for spring right. do some herping out here locally until we can go overseas you know absolutely Hell yeah. yeah we're gonna come there you're yep. gonna come here we're gonna go to philly <laughs> absolutely cheese yeah, steaks oh yeah and water Ice, water, 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 ice, water, ice, and pine barrens. Uh, Why are there python? Water. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, let's let's close this one out. Thank you to everybody who's been hanging out in the chat. I think we've got some uh, international uh, uh, audience members today. We've got folks from all over the ponds 
various bodies of waters water Weirdy. so <laughs> right all right well we'll probably catch you all next week again we just fly by the seat of our pants on this one here as long as there's coffee we'll, wait you guys we'll are wearing our... pants uh <laughs> maybe i didn't get that memo <laughs> uh, yeah you don't have to wear pants to this show either people so just yeah. remember that no pants no rules that's right all righty well we all will right. uh, We'll close all this out. Thanks for tuning in. Later, gentlemen. Have a good one. one. Bye. Bye, squirrel. (laughs) Squirrel. Squirrel.